Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are back, and we have the winners of the Oily Comics 2014 Summer Bundle Giveaway to announce. We also have two hours and 20 minutes of pop culture insanity with an absurdly long discussion about Paul McCartney, as well as Prince Comics, Zero Number 9, Batman, the Hiro Kawata Batmenka, the pre-SDCC's news announcements, Shudder Number 3 and 4, The Life After, Meteor Men, The Wicked and the Divine, and, of course, SpongeBob Comics Annual Size Supergiant Swimtacular Number 2. Semi-hasty show notes are now available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester, hello from the basements of my house. Ooh, the basement. Is that because it's so scaldingly hot you would die if you were in your regular office? Yes. Uh, regular listeners to this show know that maybe for like one or two episodes a year, it's really, really hot in Portland. Uh, this is one of those days. It's, I want to say it's low 90s, maybe mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know at the weekend it's supposed to get up to 100 again. Oh god. Uh, and so I'm not saying my office, because my office is pretty much a sun trap, heat trap at the best of times. But when it's warm, it's actually insufferably warm. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Well, I, I suppose it's comparatively cooler and more enjoyable in the basement. Uh, it's definitely cooler. More enjoyable. I don't know, Jeff. How do you feel about sitting around in unfinished basements? <laughs> I run hot and cold on it, I have to say. Uh, sometimes it's great. You catch me in the right mood, and it's like, ah, yeah. You, you know that sort of weird kind of... Um, I always get a kick out of that sort of post-industrial malaise when you're in... <laughs> Like kind of a, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I call this post-industrial. I, I think I call it like post-demolition. Yeah, post-post-industrial. Yeah, post-post-industrial. Really, it's fine. You can put in as many posts as you want, and generally, for the most part, I'm like, ah, this is mm, somehow de- depressing, but yet satisfying. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is. It's just totally. I think it was growing up during a, an age where. Too many rock videos were like filmed in incomplete industrial spaces or something, you know? I'm just like, yes. Does that mean you also like muscle vests and like really frizzy hair? I I have both right now, Graham. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, if only we could get a photograph of you wearing like a rock wig and a muscle vest. <laughs> that would be the perfect visual accompaniment to this episode. Yeah. You know, the worst part is part of me is like, yeah, I would do it. But then I, I totally forgot, like, oh, right. Plus with the beard. like I That's would just what look. I'm saying. See, I'm not. I'm just like, I was like, oh, yeah, that would be grotesque enough on its own. But then you join that together and it just, oh, my God, no. I I, I swear to God, I am just one uh, fashion accessory away from being tackled in the street and dragged off to an asylum as it is, you know. Oh, oh, come on. You're just trying to become San Francisco's Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the problem. I think San Francisco is not interested in that offer at all. Like, Oh, all. Uh, come to Portland. You know that it would go down well here. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Especially if you add a little bit of wax to the mustache of the beard. Mm, uh, yeah, see, that's I, I'm kind of feeling like I got to I got to figure out what's what's the post wax era for the mustache. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like people are already 
working the wax angle on the mustache like a little too much. Like maybe if I could put like little tiny bells at the ends, <laughs> you know what I mean? So they jingle just really lightly as I walk, you know? I think I yeah, I think that's definitely what you should do, Jeff. I think definitely. I think, I think you should do that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the rest of the podcast, I think you should just insert like little jingle be Great, yeah. I'm like, God, why don't I have one now? It could just be like, I'd be talking, and I just even if I don't have it on my beard, I'd happily like roll that in my hand back and forth while talking. Every uh, time you hear a bell ring, a Jeff Lester gets his wings. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or maybe the other way around. Like every time you hear an angel get its wings, you actually see Jeff Lester put another bell in his beard. I don't know. Something like that. I, the bell beard sounds. I, see, here's the thing. That suggests to me that it's getting in like the bottom part of the beard, which suggests to me like, you know, crazy not shaven in many years because they're homeless, dude. Not, you know, fashion accessory. Oh, I see. And, and I know that that line can blur for many people. Oh, indeed. Yes, absolutely. By the way, uh, listeners, any of you who figured out that we were behind in our comic book reading and are going to be riffing mindlessly for as much <laughs> of the podcast as we can, anyone who figured it out before now can write me and get a prize. And whoever figured it out the earliest, just, just write down the time when you suspect it. I know it's tough with us because usually I think most people can't catch on until about well, well, most people. Oh, I, I thought I was going to say most people just assume that we're behind anyway. Hey, talking about prizes, should we uh, tell everyone who won the, the Oil of Comics? Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, by which I mean, hold on. Uh, do you mean? <laughs> I, I I have it open, so I can okay. actually give the names if you want. That would be lovely. Okay, so listeners, as you recall, last podcast we did a phrase that pays promotion uh, for Charles Forsman's uh, Oil Comics Summer Bundle, and a lot of people entered, which I kind of blew me away. Jeff, were you, were you the same? Like I was I, genuinely I was. surprised was. by how many people entered. I I was I was surprised and also really really delighted because you know like I said a lot of this was was my hope that we could get um you know bring bring attention to oily comics and you know my hope is is that if we had as many people enter as entered um we weren't able to give them give away uh copies to everyone but hopefully those people that didn't get a copy are like you know my interest is so stoked i'm going to I, go i'm to... super curious i'm going to go and find it myself exactly whether it be it at oilycomics.com or at um you know fine purveyors of comics goods in my neighborhood yeah so it yeah really no i was actually yeah. delighted about it okay so the first three people yeah. To write in. Uh, so the deal was the first three people to write in got a copy, and then everyone else got entered into a drawing for the remaining two copies. Uh, what Jeff knows, and you don't, listeners, is uh, the drawing was not done by Jeff nor myself, mm-hmm. but in fact by the official, unofficial, wait, what, uh, mascots, my dog's Gus and Ernie. Yeah. Uh, I, Jeff, I actually owe you photographs of this. I need to see those, like, immediately. <laughs> uh, I, I, I will send them before. Like the, the podcast goes up, I, I but you're not getting them right now because they're nowhere close to hand. But no. you, you'll get them, Jeff. And listeners, you will also, if you go to waywhatpodcast.com, hopefully be able to see this as well. All I'm going to say is it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do. I would think. I would think. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> it strikes me that Ernie and Gus have very different approaches to uh, judging and moderating, as it were. Well... All I'm going to say is this. If entries were socks, it would have been so much easier. (laughs) 
Oh, that's funny. I was kind of hoping that you would make the entries into socks. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I really should have just like written them on socks. Yeah, and then just yeah, thrown that, that, a bunch that, of socks at them and seen which ones that, to grab first. That's time. Now, well, here's the thing. That wouldn't work because Ernie would just grab the first one. <laughs> And then they fight over it. I'd like I'd have to just leave the socks out and see which one they picked up. Right, right, I see. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the first three people who wrote in uh, are Jacob Shemkovitz, uh, Ryan Cartenson, mm-hmm. and Andrew Foley. Yay! Uh, and the two drawing winners, uh, one of whom was a Patreon and one of whom was not a Patreon supporter. Um, Dave Clark is hey. non-Patreon supporter. Wow. Congratulations, Dave. Jeez. Uh, and uh, Derek Moreland. Hey! Is- really? So yeah. So these guys, this was this was absolutely at random, huh? Because those guys. Yeah. I was going to say, do you know them? Because I, I, I don't like. I recognize the names, but I don't really know them. Whereas there's people on people who said it like I know or know my friends, and I was kind of like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, I know it's true. There were enough other people, but uh, I believe Derek Moreland is our buddy Voodoo Ben. Uh, oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, okay, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have put that together at all. And I guess I do know him. <laughs> and, and then I believe that Dave Clark is the uh, cartoonist from I think Down Round Australia way, who has sent us um, mini comics before. Or I, I certainly have gotten a few. So um, unless he's the techno DJ you, who's you now flipping people yeah. off in the Google search. So. Uh, so yeah, congratulations <laughs> to. I, I totally remember Dave Clark, the the techno DJ. Do you? No one's driving. Yeah, I, I got that single. I was a big fan of that. <laughs> How scary that that is a reference that you're like, oh, yeah. Uh, anyway. I, I, I did. I totally love Dave Clark back then. Anyway. Um, yeah, congratulations, everyone. Uh, yeah. You, you will be getting things sooner rather than later. Yes, yes. Now that I know, I will be able to pass on the names and addresses uh, and additional shipping charges in some cases to uh, Mr. Foreman, and he can get it out uh, as as befits his busy publishing schedule. He did make. I do believe that uh, the oily um, comics bundle summer bundle was going to start shipping in late June. So my hopes is that they're they're already. The, he'll have he'll be ready to fire them out your way everybody thank you much so much for entering your emails were great uh we really enjoyed reading them and replying to them um and yeah i i kind of hope that I, it, you know, it kind of worked we should do it again yeah that's kind of what i want to do I, I i would love to do this again uh at some point when we 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 once again when the stars align and we can figure out how to um thank both similarly support uh, a, a comic person that we think is awesome and uh, and figure out a way to, you know, give away appropriate stuff. I'm, I'm totally hoping. In fact, I totally have people that, you know, we can talk later about stalking. But anyway. Oh, stalking, stalking, stalking comics. Yes. I, I'm fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, well, that's great. Great. So congratulations, everybody. I will we'll post those winners. I might – I'll probably post them – well, of course, the three immediate winners know knew, but did you also contact the uh, the um, our drawing oh, winners? Oh, I love that you think that I'm that organized. <laughs> no, no, 
So you think if I had context them, I also would have told you in advance. <laughs> Listeners, Jeff actually had no idea who those two other two it's winners were. I was, I was like, I was looking at the list just to make sure that the names that Graham mentioned were were actually, actually on there. That yeah, would be hilarious, that, that would wouldn't be, it? That would be great. And the <laughs> non-Patreon winner, Mr. Matt Fraction. Yay! You know. He might really enjoy. I, I think he would love it. I think he would love it, and I think it would be important for us to, you know, maybe that sort of the pipes of peace, as it were. I've had the Paul McCartney pipes of peace stuck in my. Oh, is mind. that because I I made the mistake of getting uh, the girl is mine mixed up with say say say? Yes. Yep. No, oh, no, 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 no. Ebony, Ebony and Ivory. Ivory. Ebony yeah, and exactly. Ivory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, fans of early 1980s Bob McCartney duets. <laughs> of whom I know more. there are a, a massive amount listening to this podcast who are fans of early 80s Macca. Oh, yeah. yeah that I, I mean, I, I, to be fair, Dylan Todd is genuinely a fan of uh, of McCartney's okay. solo career. I think of all eras, not just like me, like the immediate Beatles stuff. Wow. Hey, so this reminds me, actually, uh, yes. on the not comics thing. There was there was a thing that Graham and I was talking. Graham and I were talking about. That sounds wrong, too. Graham and I speaking on the Internet the other day <laughs> uh, uh, in part about uh, Paul McCartney. I was. Oh, yes. Mocking, your story. Yes. I was mocking Paul McCartney and uh, told told Graham in the course of, of making fun of the the Paul McCartney's 80, 80s career that I had, in fact, seen Give My Regards to Broad Street. Well, no, the no, 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 well, I'll, I'll get to that. But yes, so I was telling Graham that I'm pretty sure, although my memory gets very hazy now that something the, like the far off days of 1984 are, God, God help me, 30 years behind us. But I have distinct memories of sneaking out of Give My Regards to Broad Street and going to the theater next door, which was showing Purple Rain. And that's when I saw Purple Rain. Okay, so I now want to throw the cold waters of fact over you here. No, no, no. Go ahead, but no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that happened. It did happen. It is. It is not impossible. It, it but is not. If it happened. Yeah. Then that means that it's in a, where were you at this point? Were you in San Francisco? I, I had just started going. Yeah, to to San Francisco State University. Okay. So I was just in, in that San case, Francisco. Yeah. A, a theater in San Francisco. Yes. Was showing. Give my regards to Broad Street and showing Purple Rain, yeah. but Purple Rain was at that point four months into its release. Yes, yes. Now, so that seems unlikely. I know, it, but it doesn't seem impossible. Is it's the thing. not. Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, shit. I think that's right. Like I remember times when there were movies that were in movie theaters that just never left. Way back when, you oh know yeah, what I mean? yeah, and no, I think it, I think it, Purple Rain was one. It's of incredibly possible that Purple yeah. Rain just stuck around. In fact, one of the things that it kind of bummed me out about this story was realizing that if it was true, and like I said, I really do believe that it is. I was one of those punk asses who did not go and see Purple Rain 
for the first four months that it was out. Yeah, exactly. Which is amazing to me. But what's great about that is not only did you not do that, you did, however, think it was a good idea to go and see Give My Regards to Broad Street. Yeah, okay. To be, to, yes, absolutely. Now, I I got dragged along to a lot of. Should you actually like. Because there's, I think it's really possible that people do not know what Give My Regards to oh, Broad God, Street is. Oh, God, I bet, I, please, God, I hope Because it's really, case. really obscure. Yeah. Give My Regards to Broad Street is a Paul McCartney musical film that came out in 1984. And you can um, put as many air quotes around that on everything except Paul McCartney. He's really in it all the time. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely a film. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's definitely a musical. Yeah. Uh, the, the plot is that Paul McCartney is recording his new album. Right. And the the tapes disappear after he's finished or while he's recording it. Uh, and the tapes are glowing blue mm-hmm. because it's the eighties. They're like neon blue. Yeah. Um, and he has to find them, but like in the process of finding them, it gets weird. I saw this on video. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I know I've seen the whole thing. I can't remember it for the fucking life of me. Yeah. Uh, Your brain but I just know shuts I, down at a yeah, certain point. But, but I know does. that Ringo's in there. Yes. And Linda's in there. Yeah, Linda and um, Ringo are there. And in fact, they're the comic relief. And there's some scenes of are, yeah, yeah, Ringo are, flirting yeah. with her that are remarkably unconvincing. You know. Well, I mean? you know, it's it's <laughs> it's Ringo. It's Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, really. <laughs> Okay, so my understanding is, is first off, it makes sense. Poor Paul McCartney. I mean, it, it kind of, I mean, it makes sense. You do a movie like A Hard Day's Night that become, that still is to this day considered a film classic. It is, it is absolutely, not only did it help, you know, skyrocket the, the Beatles career and have everyone, you know, take them seriously. It's just, it's a goddamn good film. And, and the thing that is amazing is, um, it's, it, it's su- not surprising really that McCartney sort of goes back to revisit that idea, I suppose, um, of, oh, here's me. It's a day in life, but it clearly isn't, you know, um, the thing that is to be said is that, you know, the director, uh, Richard Lester of, um, Hard Day's Night, you know, is, was a, a absolutely kind of genius, uh, film director, I think, yes. you know, well, it was a good director, was a good director, as opposed to Peter Webb. Yeah. Who <laughs> I think may well have been, uh, you know, a grip who showed promise. I don't, I don't exactly know. I- I'm reading the Wikipedia page for Give My Regards to Broad Street. Oh, man. Just, have you seen it? No, no. I've been over at the So the it goes IMDb it goes film page. history, and it explains it. Then it goes, video game. A video game based on this film was released for the Commodore 64 and Sinclair ZX Spectrum home computers <laughs> in 1985. That's a year after it came out, Jeff. <laughs> I love that they're like, listen, the kids are still asking for that. Well, yeah. Give My Regards to Broad Street for a game. No, I mean again. Uh, also, yes. Hard Day's Night is fifty years old, Jeff. Oh fuck, I know. We're so. I'm so. Wait, I, I was going to say. I was going to say we're so old, but I it came up before I was born, so that's okay. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, how how do I put it? The thing that's chilling is, give my regards to Broad Street, is much closer on the timeline to a Hard Day's Night than we are to give my regards to Broad yes. Street. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You know? So yeah. that that is that's one of the things that's truly creepy. Now, so anyway, and, and also uh, to be fair to McCartney, he had had a, a certain amount of luck with in the in the realm of 
you know, MTV rock videos, and he took them pretty seriously. Uh, in fact, um, the Pipes of Peace uh, video that I think that I was at one point, you know, making fun of, I I actually really enjoyed. Did you ever see that video, Graham? Oh, yeah. Inescapable? Yeah, fuck, fuck you is all I'm saying. <laughs> I hate Pipes of Peace so much. The song or the video? The song and the video. Oh my god, I I hate I, it. It's like being stabbed in the eyes and ears. But I love the fact that someone was that Paul McCartney was like, yeah. So what I want to do is revisit the scene of England's ghastly war and the actual, tr- you know, genuine Christmas Day truce that happened between the German and British troops and turn it into you know a cutesy rock video with me like like playing. Uh, football, if you prefer, in the trenches with German soldiers and, you know, us all like, you know, taking pictures and being awesome with one another. I don't think they were taking pictures, you know, and then. (laughs) That would be completely completely anachronistic. They're like, and then one of them got out their cell phone. Right. That would be great. I don't think they were full selfieing it, but I think there might have been a flash powder and a fuck you, Graham McMillan going on there. So the the flash powder was just an explosion of a bomb. It was. It was. And that bomb was my consciousness expanding. (laughs) While watching I was going to say, that bomb was give my regards to Broad Street. <laughs> a better joke. A better Roger joke. Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film one out of four stars, praising its music as wonderful, but calling it, quote, about as close as you can get to a non-movie, and saying, quote, the parts that do try something are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and let's face it, I remember oh. some of the, oh, in fact, being on IMDb and reading somebody's review on it, uh, they actually rephrase the, um, the, oh my God, this is not even the, the whole, like, um, the, the review that I read. Cause they mentioned the fact of the silly love songs number that's like done with like mimes and stuff like that. And it's just, I mean, just reading that phrase, like I just flopped into a cold sweat. <laughs> I was like, Oh God. But so, it, it's, the soundtrack was fascinating because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you had no more lonely nights. Yes, like which was the single from the thing. Yeah, which got played uh, interminably on MTV. And then it was kind of amazing because it was like Paul McCartney was like, "I'm just going to do stuff from Revolver from the mm-hmm. Beatles." Mm-hmm. Because, like, looking down, Good Day Sunshine's on there. Yeah. Here, there, and everywhere's on there. Yes, for I think no it's the opening Ellen, number. Yes. At Ellen Rigby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What? Yeah, no, I mean, that's really just listening to that album being like, oh, this was great. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's kind of this thing is I I have a I have a lot of issues with Paul McCartney. I I think it's is I think there is a strong case to be made that he is the most talented of the Beatles and yet clearly by far the most abhorrent to me personally, I think. Um, And. Just his continual, just the fact that, just the fact that that guy is what has gone beyond whatever dyeing your hair is, like whatever the next stage beyond that is, like having an elk's head of hair stapled to your own, you know, seventy-eight-year-old head, and then well, he, he also has Angela Lansbury's face, as you and I were oh, discussing. Yeah, the Angela Lansbury. Oh my God. Ah. Oh. Uh, if only there had been a murder she wrote that starred Paul McCartney, and he went oh, from town okay, to town performing m- musical no, numbers and songs. Murder she wrote with Paul McCartney and Angela Lansbury. He so could have been like her, her brother. Oh man! 
No. See, this is the great thing about McCartney is he – I don't think he would ever play anyone but himself. No, that's what I'm saying. Paul McCartney is, is Jessica Fletcher's brother. Oh, and, and, and she changed her name from McCartney well, she to got Fletcher. married. It, you oh. obviously don't know anything about Murder, She Wrote. This is actually terrifying, Graham. Yeah, no, I, I know less than nothing. I know oh, that J. Michael Straczynski I, was on there. I, I, I didn't I, tell you that. Uh, so I think I've said this previously in the podcast. Uh, I got really into Columbo earlier on this year. And yeah, so I watched all of Columbo yeah. on mm-hmm. Netflix. Right. Um, and the people who wrote Columbo then went on to create Murder, Show. Yes. It's the same people. Uh, and I was like, I remember the show being terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, downright terrible. I remember my grandmother loving it. I remember just hating it. And I was like, I'm going to watch an episode. And Kate was like, I'm good, totally into this as well. And Kate got really into Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> like, seriously. Not, not in any sense of she thought it was good, but that she thought it was completely so bad it's addictively watchable. Um, but there's an episode, I think I did say this in the podcast, there's an episode of Murder, She Wrote yes. where she goes back to Britain yes. and she plays her own cousin. <laughs> and, Patrick, and you're saying that should have been played by Paul McCartney. No, I'm saying what if she'd stayed in England, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then she said goodbye to her cousin, played by herself with a really fake English accent. You were saying her accent was terrible. Which oh, it's, 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 it makes Dick Van Dyke sound English. I mean, it's that bad. <laughs> Um, but she's just like, you know, see you later. And her, her, her cousin would be like, Tara, love. And then she would go and she'd be like, I'm going to see our, my brother, Paul, down in Liverpool. Mm. And then Paul McCartney just walks out and does, I, you know, what was he like, singing around the eighties? You know, uh, the, the song he did with Rupert the Bear, whatever that was called. The song that he did with Rupert the Bear? What? You don't know what I'm talking about? Not offhand. Was Rupert the Bear... That, that we was... all stand together is the, is the name of the song according mm-hmm. to the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rupert the Bear is well, possibly never came across to America. No. Rupert is a a newspaper strip. Oh, you mean Rupert, Rupert Murdoch? Yeah, I've heard of Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh sorry, 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 sorry. Context. The, I didn't Rupert know that was his nickname. Rupert the Bear Murdoch. Okay, all right. Continue. Yeah. Okay. Paul McCartney uh, did a video I, with him. I, I, I'm I, unsurprised. Yeah. He did a song called We All Stand Together, uh, which oh, was from a film called Rupert and the Frog Song. And I swear to God, the video is, oh, the song is meant to be uh, Paul McCartney and frogs uh, doing this, this chorus. I think, it's, I think it's officially credited to Paul McCartney and the frog chorus. Oh, my God. And that, let me guess, that's Linda McCartney, right? Without her, <laughs> without the studio fix? <laughs> No, Linda was a talented musician and amused to one of Britain's best love musicians. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I think I think I will give you Britain on that. Um, but everything else, <laughs> hey, I, no, I, you've got to say that Paul McCartney is one of Britain's le- best love musicians. He, 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 he. Do I have to say that like that's in the present tense? I guess. Yeah, okay, sure. I, I, I think he still is. I think oh when he God. did the the um, the Olympics thing a couple of years ago. Uh, he did the closing ceremony. I think he he came back around to people being like, okay, then. Right, exactly. And let's face it, Paul McCartney's not long for this world. So I think everyone's, you know, decided to like him now while he's still here. I don't, I don't, it's just, ugh, I don't like that guy. I really don't like that guy. I, uh, it was terrible. But he did, he did great things. Do you mean like, what do you mean? Would, like, do, wait, do you mean the, like the theme like, song to live and let die? I will. Which, I will is, which is great. That. Yeah, sure. that is great. Yeah. Do you, do you uh, mean the. See that's it, I, yeah. The music, I, sure, I, absolutely. Yeah, no, but, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, he did. If you think of everything he did with the Beatles, you know, he he genuinely pushed music forward through that. Then 
went a little bit up his own ass after that. <laughs> but melodically, oh, see what you dude, like that guy, that guy's amazing. I mean, Paul McCartney is actually the only person who's actually lapped himself on his own butthole. You know what I mean? Like he's he's gone up, out, around, and back in again, like at least three times during his career. It's astonishing. Were you the guy talking to me recently and saying that uh, people just want Paul McCartney to shut up about knowing John Lennon? <laughs> I, I can't, felt I that can't, way. Yeah. I can't remember where I read that. I, that sounds like there's, me. There's, there's something out there. Uh, maybe it was you or maybe it was something else. But there's definitely something out there about how people just want Paul McCartney. People just want to be like, okay, you knew John Lennon, we get it. No, you know, someone else did say that, and I think you re- you you posted it on your Twitter. Was that Twitter or something? Yeah, I, I yeah, definitely, I yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, Paul McCartney, man, he he has. Um, but you've got he, you've got to feel bad for McCartney yes. because the the myth of Lennon has become such a thing, and Lennon. Wait, gets I'm lot- sorry, I can't believe I wasn't listening for a second. No, I don't have to feel bad for Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney no, is is rich, and he's so excruciatingly rich. He tried to take more money from the rest of the Beatles so that he could be more rich. He's he so palpably needs everyone's love, absolutely excruciatingly everyone's love, that he is utterly, 100% unapologetically shameless about breaking out the Beatles' hits at at any minute for any, I mean, and I, I mean, literally any provocation. It's bad. He's like, like Al Jolson, you know, when Al Jolson, like, stood up in the theater and started singing during one of his wife's concerts because his wife was getting all this applause, he is unrepentantly a, 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 a money-grabbing blowhole. And the thing that's fascinating about McCartney is, like I said, he's absolutely 100% indisputably talented, but he is at the same time amazing for a guy who came about in the age of the 60s you know, and could not have been more absolutely consistently 100% like, I don't, like his aspirations were absolutely to the middle class. You know what I mean? Like there's just not, there's something that is to me completely the the face of latter day capitalism is fucking a giant Paul McCartney head like Zardoz. And it's just <laughs> chomping everything in its giant robot jaws. As we get masticated in it. And he doesn't even, uh... he doesn't even have a gullet to swallow us in, Graham. He's just <laughs> robo jaws to chew us up. And then he just poops it out the back, the part of his head to like, I don't know, fertilize his endless fields of awful. You know, it's, ah, uh, no. Anyway, so I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on with what you were saying. <laughs> All I'm going to say is this. I might disagree with you on some of that. Yeah. Well, I think you'd have to, because I don't think I made my case very well in a few parts. <laughs> mm. No. So anyway, the thing that I'm embarrassed <laughs> about is is that apart from going in and seeing that uh, in the theater in real time is then going uh, into the next theater, seeing Purple Rain seen it in the theater but it had been out for like three or four months and the thing that's crazy is i knew and loved and adored prince's work from thank god early in high school because i knew cool kids who were actually listening to it that's how i you know so but there was just something about the idea of when when purple rain came out i was just like it is fascinating to me though the way in which one would hope like in in a perfect rational world like 
Paul McCartney's Give My Regards to Broad Street as a Failure, Prince's Purple Rain is this enormous success, sort of shows this, you know, handing of the torch, the passing of the baton, if you will, um, of pop culture. But but it doesn't really happen that way. Don't you kind of – sometimes I really feel like pop culture has, like, run headlong into this brick wall where, honestly, I'm appalled. Like, Edie and I were – I don't know where the fuck we were last week. Uh, we were we were out of town, but I don't even know where we were. I don't know where we were. For fuck's sake, I I was assuming I was clothed. But the 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 main point is that we're playing ah what the Eagles uh the long run. You know, I think that's what it's called. I mean, Wait, you know, you, you voluntarily were playing the no, Eagles? No, of course not. Of okay, course I was going to say, that's entirely yeah, my point. time for an intervention. <laughs> You're, you know nothing, Jon Snow. No, no, I, I, was... I told you. I told you about the, um, there was a history of American music series on the BBC in the 90s. No. Okay. That, oh, it's great. It was a, a really long documentary series. Mm-hmm. And it's like very, very, like you've got lots of experts and they're very serious and they're very like earnest until it gets to the Eagles. And I swear to God, it was just like 10 minutes of everyone going, well, no, the Eagles are terrible. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. Literally everyone else, they didn't even make a case for like, you know, they're good or bad until they get to the Eagles. And then they're just like, the Eagles are terrible. Everyone hates the Eagles. Everyone with taste hates the Eagles. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, and what I find fascinating about the Eagles in a way is it's not like because people people took a pretty big dump on Led Zeppelin when they came out, too. And, of course, then nothing sort of the, the, the idea, the truism that nothing succeeds like success. The Eagles are the, um, you know, the exception that proves the rule. Because they absolutely want, and even the Eagles loathe the Eagles. And anyway, my point being, it's it's 2013. I'm hearing it's 2014, this. Jeff. Oh Jesus Christ! It's 2014, Graham, and I'm hearing the fucking Eagles in, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it's... But here. Here's the thing, Jeff. The way that pop culture has now ended up, it's very possible you weren't hearing the Eagles. You're hearing a band that just sounds really fucking like the Eagles. Nah, it maybe. Maybe that's maybe. that's the worst thing for me. Yeah, like I I say this as someone who was firmly and remains firmly in the Britpop pocket, mm-hmm. but the utter shameless revivalism of pop music, right, is kind of stunning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's one of those things where I'm like, when I was a kid, there was no way that you could be in a any like a bank or a supermarket or whatever. I mean, maybe if you were in a place that seemed crazily out of touch, they might be playing something from the fifties. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but usually it was like Muzak version of shit that came out like five or six or maybe eight years ago. I don't know. You know, like whenever born free came out like that, just, you know, stuck in the craw of people in supermarkets and banks at that time. But the idea that if you were in a supermarket and they were playing something that was 40 years old, you know, you would be listening to, like, what, Count Basie? You know, it just seems crazy to me. Like, I feel that pop culture really has, like, like we really just officially need to, like, give up. Like, just have it go away. Just, like, it needs to, it just needs to go. No, but it doesn't need to go. It just needs to be... In the proper context. Because it's not like the Beatles came along and everyone was like, well, literally move over, roll over Beethoven. 
Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, all that stuff still existed and was still uh, listened to and was still appropriated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't as dominant as music from the 60s and 70s still is now. Mm-hmm. Let's see, this is it, Graham. The 60s and 70s are so dominant. You're honestly, again, to use the proper amount of time, you would be talking about stuff from the 40s and the, the fucking 30s. You know, no, I, I, no, I agree. Like the fact that we're talking about, hey, Hard Day's Night came out fifty years ago. That's half a fucking century. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I mean, it is crazy that, of course, it because it just got a recent re-release. Everyone's talking about it, but no, but if you think about it. Like that's so. Imagine when Hard Day's Out, Hard Day's Night came out, mm-hmm. like in '64. People were listening to the music of 1914. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or 1924. Like that wasn't. That wasn't happening. Like, we tend to look through this, you know, lens and be like, oh, haha, how amazingly sort of backwards people were, I suppose. But but the, in a way, it feels more progressive than what we're kind of got going on now across. So I'll just read out some of the songs that were released uh, in 1914. Or should say published. <laughs> oh because it was published. Um, let's see. The Desecration Rag was published. Oh, yes. Vido is a hot dog now. <laughs> Goodbye, girls. I'm through. He's a devil in his hometown. Right. Also, he's a rag picker. Mm-hmm. If I, if you don't want my peaches. Wow. And uh, and the thing uh, that's great is you actually you know someone who actually was listening to that music at one point and then turning their own spin on things. McCartney. Yes, exactly. Paul McCartney was kind of like, oh, this would be kind of clever. Let me go back what? and... Yeah, what if I wrote Honey Pie? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it really was... Like, Paul McCartney was just... He went through a stage of, you know, he and Lennon just doing, like, crazier and crazier and crazier, um, like, can you top this truth or dare moments, you know, in popular music, you know? And I, I almost... I don't know. I just... Oh. No, it, it, but it is kind of weird that you had, and maybe it was because the Beatles were first, for want of a better way of putting it, mm-hmm. that they could simultaneously hold on to the mass audience and do new things. Mm-hmm. And so they, they had the spectrum. They could go back. They could go forward. And the audience essentially stuck with them. Yes. I can't imagine that happening with any bands now. And it's not the musician's fault, mm-hmm. per se. Mm-hmm. It's the audience has become so fragmented because everything is still available. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Uh, which is, boy, which is whole, this whole conversation again in that classic like, wow. Do you ever feel like we're talking about ourselves, Graham? Like we haven't started talking about all of our comics, most of which were, you know, many of which will star characters that were created over seventy years ago. But um, you know, I, I, yeah, I just feel like there's a there is. There should be a clearinghouse of this stuff. There, it just it everything is sort of. There should, should be a point where you're like, you can listen to that once a day. Yeah. You can read one Spider-Man comic a month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess fault. so. Some, something like that. Yeah. You, you know, no, but we, it, but, it, but it is our, the way we uh, experience media mm-hmm. has substantially changed now. Because think about it, we have uh, Marvel Unlimited, right? Right. Right. And I, I keep a tab on what's coming out now but mm-hmm. i use marvel limited more often than not to read stuff that came out before i was born yeah yeah you know and that the technology changes the way you 
you experience the the culture. Right. And and, and, and that just continually happens. So, right. you know, are we, as much as we're complaining about this, are we doing it to ourselves? Well, we absolutely are. And, of course, once you start to reframe it in the context, not so much for me, um, but I do think that there's... <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't do it at all, Jeff. No, You're no, right. No, 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 no. You're, you're always pushing things you, forward. You, I, you always catch me in the act of putting my parentheticals in the wrong place. Uh, what I should say <laughs> is I'm actually impressed by the number of people who, um, thanks to the miracle of Torrance, actually have, at a much younger age, have read, experienced, and processed a lot more, like, comics culture, you know? Like, I would say that yeah. there's... People who are, you know, under the age of 25 who were far better, I mean, excruciatingly better read uh, in the broad spectrum of comics than I was at that age. I mean, it literally was not possible, you know. Oh, yeah, that that's partially it. Like, they can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they, they have the technology, you know, th- thanks, Steve Austin, but they, it's... <laughs> It's there for them in a way that it wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me is, I feel there's people who are 25 who have a better who are better in comics than I am now. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think I feel uh, the same way. In fact, yeah. And I think part of it is the an increased rate of consumption because of an increased availability of things to consume. Right. Right. But part of me then gets the. Uh, like, are they consuming as opposed to experiencing? Well, like, there's a difference right. between, uh, you know, listening to a piece of music and really getting a piece of music, or say I'm reading a comic and really getting a comic. Uh, this week, one of the things I read was the ninth issue of Zero, which is coming out next week, because mm. because um, Alish sent it to me, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a blinder, Jeff. It's really really good mm. i mean it's it's i think zero has been an amazing series up until now mm-hmm. but issue nine is one of those oh holy shit moments wow really um well you, you've been reading right you've been yes. paying attention yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it's it's one of those things where you're like well it's backstory but it's also not backstory because at no point in the issue itself are you're like well i'm you know this is backstory because mm-hmm. you're very present in the moment mm-hmm. um but it's just it's it's beautiful. It's horrific. It is a tragic story. Mm. It, it 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 is very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is beautiful. The way it is told is is amazing. Uh, it's and I always get this guy's name wrong. I think it's Tonki Zonjic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's doing the art. Um, and Zero has been an astounding looking series from the start. But this is maybe the best looking issue yet. Wow. Um, and it's just. It's astounding. But mm-hmm. what I was going to say is, I just kept going back to it and reading it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I that read was it and my I was point. like, exactly. Right. That, you know, th- this is, this is astounding. Like, mm-hmm. I, I have to reread this because I didn't get it all. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I know that as much as I got out of this, as much as I enjoyed this, I didn't get it all. Mm-hmm. I, I have to go back and read this. I have to go back and read this again. Right. And it took multiple, reads for me to feel that I was even engaging it properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a risk when you have so much out there and so mm-hmm. much available right? Uh, that you rush shit. Yeah. Yeah. This is exactly my point is, is my worry is, is that as well read as everyone is. Yeah. In, in 
the pressure to continue to remain well-read or just simply having the access to it, you know, there's a lot to be said for the, the books that remain or culture that remains influential to you because you're more or less trapped in a room with it, you know, where there's nothing there but it essentially. And which used to be easier back in the day. Like you, if you read something, you know, um, it, it, let's say it's an issue of heavy metal magazine. That's just got an eight page Bilal strip that you're in love with. And there is nothing else coming out like it for a month. And there's no way. And you just revisit it and revisit it. And, you know what I mean? Like, I think for me, oh yeah, was... you, you you gain an entirely different understanding of the text, exactly. Because because you all you can do is study it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You know what I mean? Like, all you can do is go back and go back and go back. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really funny because with Marvel Unlimited, I've been revisiting a lot of stuff that I read um, when I was a kid, mm. and it's I have such a different reaction to it. Like, I know the story. Mm-hmm. I I know the panels mm-hmm. um, in a way that I just I couldn't say is even vaguely true of anything I've read in the last 10 years yeah exactly exactly there is a lot of stuff where I'm just like where and again admittedly I'm perfectly willing to say this says more about me but this morning when I sat down to like try and read some books so that we would have stuff to discuss stuff I picked up at the store you know I picked up like I don't know it was a light week so like four or five books this week um, and I thought uh, I'd only read like one of them. Um, like, you know, like an hour and a half later, I'm like grabbing a sandwich. I'm like, Oh, right. I've got to read all those other issues. And I had, and read then them. you're like, yeah. Then you're like, like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's... Yeah. I've read them. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very strange. Um, I'm uh, while we're talking, I'm looking through the PDF of zero again, by the way, and just like, Oh God, this is such a good issue. It's, it, it's so, amazingly perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's tough because I, I, I normally, this is where I start pushing you harder for spoilers and I kind of can't sense. Um, well, I, I, I also really I, I don't read want it. to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I really don't want to because it has a, a wonderful inevitability about it. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, there's something, it's almost, it almost works because because you don't know what's going to happen, even though you're fairly sure. Mm-hmm. You have this, maybe it won't, maybe it won't, mm-hmm. maybe it won't do the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's, because like I said before, it's, it's astonishingly bleak. Um, that pulls you through and also gives you a very different reaction with the story. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've got a, a particular relationship because you're, you're drawn by its gravity, but you're also fighting it at the same time and hoping that, you know, it will change. It will be different. Right. Um, but Jeff, what, you'll probably do what I did, which is you'll read it and then you'll do a second pass just to stop and look at the panels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is, the line work is incredible, but I, I still, yeah, it's still Jordi Berlier coloring it. Like there's, there's particular panels where she kills so much with the color. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like the small detail. There's mm-hmm. a page where uh, a panel where you're looking at a car driving in the night, uh, in the dark, and you see the car in the middle of the shot. You see the buildings up ahead that are lit by the car's headlights, but in the foreground you see 
puddles reflecting the brake lights of the car. Mm-hmm. And the colours are just so fucking good. Mm. I mean, just so spot on. Yeah, it's it's without doubt one of the best things I've read this year. Wow, wow that's fantastic. And like I said before, Zero has been amazing on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. It, it's it, been a very strong series, I have and to say. I, have you gone back to reread them all in a one-er? Because I did that recently, and it's it's crazy how different it feels. Mm-hmm. It, so? it feels, it feels far read. more... Because um, when you're reading them individually, they're, they're all single-issue stories. You know, that they have a thread, that there is an uber plot, but... You know, there's a start, a beginning, middle, and end in each issue, um, and that blurs when you read them all together. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there's a really, while they still work as individual issues, mm-hmm. when you read them in a wonder, there are things that you just would not have caught mm-hmm. uh, on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. being mirrored, coming back, lines, relationships. That you're like, oh shit, he's he's really like he's really good at this. Mm. He he's really really good at the way he's he's pacing this and the way that he's he's, he's breaking this apart. Wow. Um, which is uh, so the reason uh, he sent me his ish mm-hmm. is I'm doing a piece with him for Hollywood Reporter about the Winter Soldier series that was announced today. Yes. Uh, he and Marco Rudy are doing a Winter Soldier series. Mm-hmm. That he's writing as Zero meets Secret Vendor stuff. Hmm. Uh, which, as I said, many know. I can't imagine. Oop. Hey, Graham, uh, sorry, I hate to interrupt you, but you're kind of breaking up in a way that we don't usually have happen. What? Uh, yeah. I'll call you back. I'll call yeah, 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 yeah. Give me a call back in just a sec, okay? Okay. Hello. There you are, clear as a bell. Okay, there you go. So let let's do this again. Yes. Are are we going to tell the listeners that there was a problem? Uh, yeah, or do I you think want so. To just try go back into it. Well, it's tough because I I usually you I have to say are amazingly good at jumping in. Like there have been past where I've like sewn together episodes where you literally start in the same part of the sentence, even back up a little bit, and I can sew it together. But this time, I think, is going to be a little bit more messy. So, yes. Why don't you explain... Why don't I explain what happened? Listeners! Hi! Hi, listeners. Um, so, what you don't know in your smooth, wonderful listening experience is that we've just had <laughs> ridiculous technical problems. Uh, the part of the conversation you just heard was, I shit you not, recorded about 40 minutes ago. Yes. Yeah. So um, we might be a little clumsy getting back into it, I think. But I know exactly what I was talking about. I was talking about Zero. Yes, you And I you was were. talking about uh, the fact that Alishkot said mm-hmm. that Winter Soldier is going to be the melding of Zero and Secret Avengers, which seems unthinkable to me. I actually don't understand what that means. Right. Um, and so I'm super curious to see how he puts the two together. Yeah. Because, like, Zero is such a, a, such a thing of precision and such a... Mm-hmm. a personal mm-hmm. thing and something that's got enormous scope in terms of storytelling you can tell that you're all getting like moments fragments of a much larger story yes whereas secret avengers is much more broad mm-hmm. and feels very much like alish is trying to fit into the marvel universe as it exists feels mm-hmm. like he's trying to get his way in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so the idea of like melding the two i can't really imagine what it's going to be like but i'm super excited about it i mean marco rudy is a, an amazing artist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and alice is a fascinating writer and i'm really really 
curious to see what happens when the two of them are like, let's play. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it will be fascinating. I, I, um, I'll be very curious to see more of the info as it rolls out. Um, hmm. And so, without meaning to like, since we're talking about comics again and finally, um, it's only finally to us because we've been like messing around for the last 45 minutes. Well, you seem to have forgotten, like, there was a lot of Paul McCartney in there. I didn't even get to talk about Prince very much. So, uh, you know, um, shall we talk about the Prince comics? I still love the Prince comics. Can we can we talk about that for a second? You know, I we can. I actually I haven't read any of them. Um But it's it's an amazing lineup. It's like Dennis Cowan's doing the art. Yes, Brian yeah. Rollins does a cover for one of them. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Bill Sinkovich is in there. And um the thing that I think is interesting to me is I was sort of thinking back on Purple Rain and it's it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a superhero movie, you know what I mean? Before it's time, like Purple Rain is actually a pretty decent Marvel comic, you know, if you think about is it. Is it though? Well, yeah. I mean, here you're like, no, but um, <laughs> yeah, color me unconvinced. Put it that way. Well, okay. So c- to me, it's like you have Prince. Prince is in Purple Rain. He is the super conflicted, put upon. He's a very, to use the alliteration, like nobody's business. He's very much Peter Parker Prince. You know what I mean? And sort of the same way that you have a, um, you know, you've got your villain, and you've got your hero, and you've got your villain. And, and in superhero movies, you spend almost as much time with the villain as you do with the hero. You spend a lot of time with Morris Day in the time. You know, and There's a lot of. Time. <laughs> I thought you, you know? were going for that pun. Yeah, I should have been. I should have been, but clearly I'm I'm an idiot not to have. You know? So I I feel I just remember thinking that that, you know, I'm sure I'm sure Prince was trying for more of a James Dean and high heels kind of thing, but I think he was you know, I just remember some of those scenes where he's just not getting a break anywhere until he kind of gets up on stage. And it's a, it's a, it's a little, it's a little bit of a superhero thing. I really do. I, I seen like thinking that there are Prince comics are not necessarily surprising to me, you know, in that regard. It is surprising to me. And to be fair, it's not just Prince. All of the musician comics are surprising to me. Like the Rolling Stones Voodoo Lounge is surprising to me. The Last Temptation of Alice Cooper is surprising to me. Like the Kiss comics are surprising to me. Right. Because none of the, I mean, that's not true. I can you can arguably make a case for Alice Cooper and Kiss, right? Whereas they're we're in there quite clearly playing characters, and you can make an argument that Prince is playing character as well. Yes, but the, by far the most interesting thing about Prince's character, arguably the only interesting thing about Prince's character, is the music. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true for the Rolling Stones. Ah, wait, in the comic you mean, or no, Prince no, the in, persona. in general, Prince the persona, Prince, mm-hmm. Prince. See, this is interesting. This is the thing that I think is kind of interesting. I don't know that I necessarily agree with you there. You know, because what, I do think what it's what is more interesting. Well, okay, what is more? Uh, oh, you than his music? That is music. Well, P- Prince is interesting in that, and it's kind of maybe it's maybe it's a, a good way to to sort of posit this conversation is in the, is in this context is similarly in the way that Alice Cooper and um, 
Kiss sort of took the outright theatrics of glam rock. Um, Prince actually takes a lot of the sexual androgyny of glam rock and joins it to funk in a way that you do not see happening, at least in my limited knowledge. Uh, so you get a lot of the spangly stuff, a lot of the presentational stuff, a lot of the appearances for appearances sake, but also the, the deliberate blurring of sexual genders with an idea that it pushes you toward uh, um, a, a strangely hyper-masculine state. That is what Prince is doing around the time of Purple Rain and before. And additionally, on top of that, he has a very specific, weird, apocalyptic vibe going on. His his ongoing thing about religion and the apocalypse. I mean, the apocalypse, you know, goes on, you know, you can track it from 1999, but it rolls right into Purple Rain. And in fact, one of the things that's really funny about, because I was listening to Purple Rain for the first time in forever, I forgot how absolutely funny bits of Purple Rain are. Like the, the his his little opening sermon at the beginning of Let's Go Crazy, where he talks about um, the afterlife, where it, you know, where it's always sunny day or night. I mean, it sounds like something out of Spinal Tap. Like, I really was. I was like, oh, right. Like, Prince is doing, like, a really severe piss take on this concept of the the religious invocation and soul music. And yet, it's so deeply inherent to the narratives that run through his music that by the time you get to... um. I would die for you where he's positing himself as a Christ figure, you know, it's, there's, there's, like I said, there is just a lot of, and I'm sorry to misuse the term funky stuff going on there that I find. <laughs> I was going to say using funky stuff with Prince. Right. Uh, you well, know, I just mean, it's not, I'm not really, I'm not talking about the, the brilliant way that he constructs his jams. I'm, yes. I'm actually saying. <laughs> uh, so I've just learned that the first Prince comic was called Prince Alter Ego. Mm-hmm. And feature, uh, apparently was a meditation on good and evil within oneself in which Prince faced off against the, if you will, the evil parts of himself mm-hmm. as personified by a character called Alter Ego. Ah, uh, yes. Right. Uh, the second, uh, one shot was called Prince and the New Power Generation Three Chains of Gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, obviously. Yes. Um, and let's see if I can find a plot synopsis. Of the wonderful, no, even even the fans' review says skip this if you're not a Prince fan. <laughs> what the Prince in the in the Next Generation? Or yeah, the, and the new, yeah, power the new Power Generation, three chains of gold. Yeah, I believe that. Oh yeah, it, it's it doesn't it's not a fan of it at all. So he, it has his symbol and the NPG. It says, oh yeah, the NPG and the rock star life he really lived in those times. Oh, yeah. see, that's <laughs> really, the thing that I love about Prince. Really, really... I, I do love the idea that Prince is absolutely one hundred percent committed to making you believe that this shit was actually happening. You, you did know? you see the the Prince episode of New Girl? Yes, I did, and I actually. That's... Yeah. That is my favorite thing that Prince has done in years. Apart from his Twitter, Prince's Twitter also remains a high point in Princedom. Oh my god, I've not been following Prince's oh, Twitter. Oh, you're not? I, I've, I, oh, it's so I, great. I think if I did, I, I was pretty sure that it was like a, it was a joke account. Was it really? Well, I, like I don't, a... I don't think it's actually under the name of Prince. I think it's under the name of Third Eye Girl, because that's the name of his new band. Oh, really? 
but there was a point where like he was just like he was learning to tweet but he couldn't do it oh man that would be awesome <laughs> it was so funny um anyway i i i i see your points but i'm not sure i agree i think that uh there's I, so much more of the theatrical uh I, I'm persona in the other bands that it, translates it, outside the music i think when you take the music away from prince and especially the rolling stones um you're left with just this really sort of flat, not that interesting character type to build upon. And without the music, mm-hmm. like all you're aware of is, the, is what is lacking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have to say that although I think that holds true for any musical act, which is why I think that musical comics generally are, you know, kind of a terrible idea unless they end up being absolutely awesome in their terribleness um like break the chain is that is is which one is that is break that the, the chain is the krs uh comic he did with kyle baker in the oh, 90s wow i would love to see that it, it came with a cassette Jeff. i was actually thinking of that bell and sebastian anthology comic that image oh god I, which I, I didn't even read uh, it, put, it was, put the book back on the shelf. Yeah, put the book back on the shelf. I thought that that was actually pretty terrible as well. And I, I well, here's you know. the thing: Bell and Sebastian are Bell and Sebastian survive on their tweeness. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I'm and, not sure no, where you're going with that. Yes. Okay. But outside of the music, all you're left with is the twee. Right. Do you know, think so. Surely that would automatically make for an insufferable comic. <laughs> well, no. I mean. Part of, believe me, I, I, name, I don't know. Name I feel one like comic ch- that, that its primary selling point is tweeness that is good. Uh, optic Nerve issues one through six. Oh! <laughs> Shots are fired from Jeff Lester. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I don't think that that necessarily does rule out a lot of any number of, of great comics. My thing is, it's just, yeah, that there's, there's, Little more than than the tweeness I, I'm going to give you. I thought that for a moment there you were trying to make a make the point that perhaps like, Bell and like, Sebastian had like a stronger non musical presence than Prince did. So I was no, kind of no, like, no, no. Bell yeah. and Sebastian have no presence. Well, okay, music. thank you. That's we're in agreement on that. That's why I was like, I don't know what you're what's what's going on there. Like, I oh come on. I, I I do think it's funny that you choose uh, Optic Nerve as your comic that survives tweeness, knowing full well my feelings on Adrian Tolman. Well, that's probably why I went there. But give me a little bit of time. I don't think that it would take me long to compile a list. There was there was a period where <laughs> where Twee was a, a thing very much. Twee was in. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God! Remember yes, the nineties? This sounds like a Paul McCartney song. Wasn't that it? Back when we were Twee, what was that? That's was... the George Harrison fab. Oh yeah, when we oh, were fab. When we were fab. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Back when we was fab, I think. I yeah. think it was was just to prove that he was still with the streets. Exactly. That's the streets. That's that's the streets in the term for the kids. No, see, I want George Harrison and Mike Skinner to like do a song now because that. Oh my god! Would that not be great? That really would that not be absolutely fucking spectacular? That would be awesome. I mean, Mike Skinner resurrect the streets just to remix. George Harrison. In fact, remakes all of All Things Must Pass. All three albums. The fact is is that Harrison was clearly the cooler Beatle than Paul McCartney. I mean, there's just... Well, no when you're talking about it. cool... Yeah. I mean, everyone... Like, Ringo was fucking cooler than Paul McCartney. Well, I, I don't even mean... Well, how do I put it? Like, cool... I, I mean... Th- okay, first there's cool in the, the way that I usually loathe the, the use of the term. But there is also a way that, that Harrison... 
although far more limited in his abilities, was able to accomplish a lot, lot more, um, in part by really nurturing some amazing talent and relationships and had a generosity that McCartney seems to You just hate Paul that. McCartney. You just I do. Really oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This sort of comes, Paul McCartney could literally end all wars in the world and you would still be like but look at him he looked a bit smug while he was doing it okay i i First totally off, get Graham, that's i have to say it. the great thing is having watched the pipes of peace video i know <laughs> that he would look smug while doing it because he did end all war for a day and he oh looked God. like a smug fucker the entire time How pipes of peace video <laughs> exhibit a ladies and gentlemen case closed Jeff, how is this turned to the paul mccartney episode <laughs> How did this happen? I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. I, it, okay, listen. I've yeah. got a great idea. I'm just going to tell you, like, various news stories, comics news stories that have broken before San Diego, and you can give me your take on them. None of them involve Paul McCartney. Oh, not yet they don't. But, okay, go <laughs> ahead. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go through the, the, the seven announcements that Boom have sent out oh, yeah. first, because they're in my email. Great. Um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes comic. Yes. Great. I mean, part of me is like... Uh, <laughs> Here's the thing. I love you, you could just say, yes, great, and we'll move on. I suppose. I, if you have nothing against – you well, like Planet of the Apes. It's, so you're on the record. Thing. I like Planet of the Apes very much on the record. Very, very looking forward to the movie. I think that – I generally think that pre, prequel comic books suck butt. Prequel comic books to as movie tie-ins, like that Inception comic, Preception or whatever <laughs> Wait, it was. Really? really? Was there one? Yes. Yeah. Oh, there was there, a there's, prequel there's to a, Inception. Yeah. There mm-hmm. is a comic that just doesn't need to exist. Yeah. Exactly. Wait, I, I, I can I think I can see the argument for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. There's ten fucking years between the two films. Yes, I would like to think. That, how do I put it? That, There's a reason for that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I suspect, call me crazy, but Dawn of the Planet of the Apes will be talking a little bit about that. And they do it in such a way, I mean, they've got the choices, but once you do it, it's just kind of that classic, let's be screamingly, like, what's the simplest, most screamingly obvious way that we can do a tie-in to this property? Oh, we'll do a prequel with the thing because some time has passed. So that's kind of my thing. I'm like, eh. Okay, you're against it. Uh, against let's it. see. Uncle Grandpa creative team is announced. Do you even know what Uncle Grandpa is? I I'm like what? No, it's, a cart- it's another Cartoon Network show. Oh, okay, great. Okay, yeah. Uh, and and there it says "Good morning to Kaboom." Says the uh, headline. Mm. Uh, Arkea has announced a new Fraggle Rock graphic novel. <laughs> You are, you haven't seen any of these things. Oh, please, love- to- please tell me it's called God Love Fraggle Kills, because that would be the best. <laughs> it's actually called Fraggle Rock Journey to the Ever Spring. I was so close. I was Which, so really, close. Fraggle Rock Journey to the Ever Spring really kind of sounds like a Transformers thing, doesn't it? It sounds like all spark to me in the sort of we put two words together to have some sort of mythological meaning, but they really don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, James Tynan IV's new series, Mimetic, was announced, which I am actually looking forward to. I, I have to say, I ended up reading that preview, I think maybe the, the, the teaser thing, and I thought that that seemed like, if they can, it's a good enough hook. If they can pull it off, then it'll, it'll be great. If they sort of flop, it might be terrible. But it's, it's that's, worth looking that's at. That's true of everything. Well, yeah. if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. Okay. When you put it like that, it sounds obvious. But I guess, yeah, yeah. All right. Points um, taken. Justin Jordan is doing three comics with Boom. 
Yes, that seemed to be... No announcement whatsoever. It's just he will be doing three comics over the course of the next year. Doesn't that seem like a shit announcement? I mean, no... Oh, it's not as bad as the first one, which was Mark Wade's coming back. No, okay, but, okay, here's the thing. Mark Wade is coming back is is a story. You know what I mean? He was a... Is any more of a story than Justin Jordan's coming? No, because it's not Justin Jordan's coming. It's... Justin Jordan is writing three titles. You know what I mean? Like, Mark Wade is coming back to Boom. It's, to me, is kind of an, and I think it might even be tied into a creator-owned property contract or whatever. Like, but there's just an idea of, like, Mark Wade. Kind of currently a draw, the idea that he's doing something with Boom where he worked before. I can see why it makes sense in terms of, uh, oh, here's the thing. But it's sort of like Justin Jordan is writing three titles kind of is to me the, Hey, there's a guy in the subway station and he's playing a guitar and the drums and blowing on the harmonica at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it just, it's like the takeaway message is that Justin Jordan is, has many computer screens, I guess. You know what I mean? It just doesn't really seem to me like like a, Yeah, exactly. It's like, does he write on his iPhone and his iPad and his computer? I mean, it just sort of, I mean, I'm just sort of like, part of me is like, I'm glad for Justin Jordan. He's getting, he's getting work. (laughs) He's got work. But I mean, honestly, the, my takeaway fact is Justin Jordan writing three titles for boom means that boom pays so little. You have to write three titles to make your rent, you know? Oh, wow. That's going that's going know. low blowy, right? Yeah, it, you know. it does, right? Sorry, but I mean, that's kind of my thing. It's like, uh, what's wrong last, with the poor bastard, you know? The okay. last announcement is one that I think both of us will just shrug our shoulders and go, okay, Arkea relaunches Spira with long-form graphic novel formats, beginning with Ascension of the Starless Volume 1. Wow, that is great. <laughs> Are you excited? <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I'm like, okay. is there, Spira's a chewing gum? Is that, That's right, isn't it? <laughs> That's kind of what it, it sounds like. Some sort of sugarless gum. Seems to be a like graphic novels fantasy series. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> on to DC's announcements. Yes. Uh, DC are launching uh, digital comics based on Arrow and the Flash, the CW series. Yes. Uh, all new creative team on Batgirl. Yes, and the Batgirl announcement is exciting. Is genuinely exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's great, and I I love. I, lo- I love the t- creative team in general. For people yeah. who somehow have missed this, it's uh, Cameron Stewart is co-writing and providing layouts and covers for the series. Mm-hmm. Brendan Fletcher is co-writing. Babs Tarr, who is a newcomer, is providing art over Cameron's layouts. And Jordi Belair is coloring, which yeah. is a fucking great creative team. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and also, did you see the interview with them? No, I, I missed it entirely. Uh, they made a big point of being like, yeah, so the book's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. and we're dropping all the gloom mm-hmm. and we thought it'd be nice to have a fun comic for a change yeah that is which was which was kind of like me be like oh thank you thank yeah. you for writing that just for me yes it's, and for me too i remember i picked up that first issue of batgirl and i was like ah and i put it back down so that's kind of kind of my thing it's like i i'm really really on board i kind of have this hope that marvel does uh, marvel the dc does not fuck fuck it up you know? oh it's dc it's honestly i can't down to fuck <laughs> It is, though. I mean, I am super excited, and as you know, I am a big, like, DC fan, Mm -hmm. but 
with all the good news, you're literally just being you always right, you're just, just counting the, the minutes until yeah, you yeah. honestly just have the hope of well, I hope they choose to leave the book before something goes wrong. Right, exactly, exactly. It's my my thing is if they can get a year out of it, we'll be lucky, you know. And I really I want it to be more than that, but under the current DC situation, it seems to me any, anybody's run looking longer than a year if you're not Scott Snyder seems unlikely. You know? Yeah. And I think guys yeah. like Johns and Snyder are pretty much signing on for year runs to do the stuff they want to do because anything longer than that they'll get interfered with. So uh Clarion is getting a new series. Clarion the Witch Boy with Anne Nashanti and Trevor McCarthy. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. I'm a little more dubious about it, uh, I think, but it'll be interesting. You know? Uh, yeah, it's it's a very I I kind of wanted to set fire to the internet after seeing comments about it yesterday. Oh yeah, why? Where where people were like a witch boy, they're just copying Loki. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Well no <laughs> this, this might have been like he might predate Loki, kind of. I, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. And someone's even like, look at him, look at his hair. They're just going for the whole Loki look. And I was like, no, I, I swear to God, you guys. Oh, that is beautiful. This, he's been around for a while. Um, Catwoman has a new creative team of Genevieve Valentine and Jerry Brown. Yeah, I've got my I've got I I am trepidatious for them. I've got my fingers crossed because it seems like. DC has a way of putting, getting, especially for me, my association is, is like, oh, they get female novelists, they put them in on a book, and there's just not enough prep, and everything goes really wrong, really quickly. <laughs> Again, everything goes to shit very quickly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I just... <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I mean, every time I see, and because she's a best-selling author, I see her name a lot, every time I see a Jodi Picoult book being advertised like on the internet or on, on a, a, you know, like Amazon or something. I'm like, DC, how could you fuck that up? You know? Oh, two words. Amazon's attack. Oh yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that really was amazing. Why don't you come on? You're only doing six issues. So what we're thinking is you can have two issues to yourself and then you get four issues for a crossover that you're tying into and it's going to take over the entire storyline, but you're not actually writing the main story. Right. Are right. you up for that? You can just imagine her be like, uh, sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure she's done? like, I'm sure she's like, why? I, I can, I own my own work. You do realize I make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on properties that I create and own. Why would I put up with this? I mean, it really was just so, I mean, just the idea that you're going to like, cause I'm sure however they approached her, got her, woo her, won her, had a lot to do with a very heavily like, oh, this character is something, somebody that means a lot to you and that you would love to, to revisit and have a yeah, chance to it's, write. It's Wonder Woman. Come yeah. on. It's a big deal. Right. Exactly. And then just the whole like, oh, but first you got to go through DC editorial hazing, you know? Uh. Uh, okay, uh, Trinity of Sin is a new series that's replacing the Pandora and Question. No, no sorry, it's Pandora and Phantom Stranger series. Oh, great. <laughs> that's, we should do more of them where you just have short responses like that. Uh, all new Green Arrow creative team, which is people from the TV show. Oh, uh, yeah, I heard of that, right. A new Lobo series featuring both versions of Lobo because 
when your when your universe is three years old, it's great that you have two versions of the same character. Okay, so I tell you this: the only reason why I'm excited about that, the new Lobo and old Lobo, is the idea that they go to bed with each other. That's what I'm like. Please God, please God, please God. That's all I want. It's like, ugh. It's it, it I, is back I, in the old days they would have like, done that. Duobo would have been called what? Duobo. Duob, du- what? That's a duobo. That no. Moving on, new Deathstroke series from your favorites, Tony S. Daniel. Oh, but he's not drawing it, is he? No, he is. He's writing. I'm <gasps> drawing it. Glee. I actually will probably pick up the first issue of that. Seriously? Yeah, it's fucking Tony Daniel, man. Look, okay, I read <laughs> it's Tony Daniel, man. <laughs> I, 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 it's seriously, oh, Graham. I, I, I do I, not so, know that's, what to tell that's you. A, you're, you're, you are invalid. <laughs> Hey, all your opinions are invalid. Yeah, I'm willing to. F- I'm I'm okay with that, Graham. I'm okay. I, it's like you know, the heart wants what the heart wants, and the heart apparently wants Tony Daniel writing and drawing his own book because let's face it, when he was writing Savage Hawkman and someone else was drawing it, that was horrible. That was not even pleasant. That that was like that was like. I'm glad. I'm glad that you've worked out that horrible is not even pleasant. Well, yeah, because come on, you know. That was horrible. It's not even pleasant. It's not even not pleasant. Even pleasant. It's not even pleasant. Horrible. You know what I mean? We've read enough pleasantly horrible comic books. I I talked about some of them in my in my entry that just went up on the Wait What podcast today. You, you like nothing, Jeff. The best part was you like nothing apart from what was the last comic. Silver so Surfer number one. Silver Surfer. I know. I was like so sad. Wait. It was just like everything apart from Silver Surfer number one. I know it was bad, and I mean, because I was seriously hating on some of that stuff. It was. It really... I know, and then you're like, "Oh, but this is all right." I kind of wanted to reach through the screen and slap you. I really did. Why? Because you didn't think Silver Surfer number one was good. I think it's perfectly fine. You think it's cromulent, perfectly cromulent. I think that everything else that you completely tore the shit out of is as fine as it. That's not true. There's a lot of bullshit in there, but I really, really, really really want to read that wrestling comic after you write. Oh my god! um, But no, like I feel that you've 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 torn, you know. You tore a strip off of Letter 44, which I think is a far better comic. Well, I and I I said it's a good comic. I think I really tried to keep my biases. Like upfront on that, I you know I said it's a good book. I said it's even a very good book, but it just depressed the shit out of me. And I I, and I I'm put su- it in a context I, I, that I thought was I have very. To admit, I'm super fascinated by that. What you said about uh, Magnus Robo Fighter as well. Mm-hmm. I'm super fascinated in the. This is all fine, but I don't feel there's a writer's viewpoint. Therefore, I can't get behind it. I I I am. I have been struggling with that since mm-hmm. you wrote it in the, the yes. Red Fine Line thing. I really have. Yeah, we we should we should we should have a we should have a podcast fight about it. Because I think because I understand why you're struggling with it. I'm struggling with it too. Because I think there is something. This actually goes back. I wish I could remember the the podcaster who pointed it out. But someone, a podcaster, or one of our one of our whatnots, a commenter, was pointing out something like we were kind of like, I don't know, sort of like. Saying that that some some piece by Jason Aaron was I don't know generic or something like that, and they were like, "Hey, it's doing a little bit of everything. He writes all sorts of stuff." And is this a good? I think there's a good case to be made for that. That there is something weird and duplicitous in my attempt to sort of. 
I don't know. I just okay. Admittedly, let's let's split them out. Letter forty four and the and Fred Van Lante's Magnus are two opposite things for me. Letter forty four, I really feel I have a very very bad reaction to stuff that is specifically tied to my um, current political anguish. And when I circle back to it, I think what I was trying to say in, in a bad way is is that. It would be one thing for me if Charles Sewell was either saying was, – was trying to say something about that in a way in, – in a way that was, that was either attacking my sort of hand-wringing anguish stance or was celebrating my – you know what I mean? Or undermining it or subverting it. But I think – But the is, thing is there not something to be said for addressing it? Like that, that's, that's what I keep coming back to. Is there not something to be said for raising these points, but letting you take it further yourself? No, I don't think so. Why not? That's a good question. Because that's something that I really was thinking about in terms of your Magnus the Robot Fighter thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I think that it's, I think, it's something I should say, first of all, is I think that you're right in that both Magnus and Light 44 feel very, um, transmedia friendly mm-hmm. and feel very ready to be plugged and played into an adaptation. Yeah. Right. Uh, and as a result, it's almost, it's not impossible, but it's very unlikely that you will get a strong theological argument in either. Right. Because in order to make it transmedia, right. and I'm, I don't, you know, I, I'm ascribing motives to both writers here and I, that that may not exist. Yes. But, if they are looking for that tone, if they're looking for that level of accessibility, mm-hmm. the idea that you are going to use this as a polemic mm-hmm. uh, is not going to happen because you're there to to sell it to as many people as yes. you can. So I think this is it. There are times where the every once in a while I can work myself into a state that I think comes very naturally, for example, to you and and I think honestly to a variety of people – the um Am I about to be insulted? No, 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 no. I did and I apologize <laughs> I'm gonna set it up this way, but it it because it, it sounds like it. But there's an idea of the expectation that pop music should be is okay. It's okay for pop music to just be pop music. You know what I mean? And I think there is something to be said for that. There is something to be said that, that Magnus Robot Fighter or uh Letter 44 is a little bit different, but it is... Whatever, their... Yeah, because Letter 44 is explicitly playing with politics. Yeah, it's... Well, it's... it's... And, and explicitly playing with real-world politics, no matter how shoddily he dresses it up. Right. So, I mean, so to me, it's kind of like there there is a way in which it's like, okay, here is... Um, yeah, it's it's an edgier version of a pop song, but it's kind of a little bit of a pop song. It's it's meant to go down easy. It's meant to be well crafted, and it's meant to sort of draw you through it with a with a high level of professionalism and and something that makes you smile. And there are levels. No, 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 no. Before I get to the, I know this sounds like I'm damning it by with you know but no, no it's not even that. i i just disagree with that's what's going on in letter 44 but i completely agree with magnus so keep going oh okay so right so this might be part of part of the the, the difficulty for me is this that van lenti and a variety of other pop guys like i said that's why i made the reference to fabian nichezia being the guy who seems to be the big influence on today's comic writers they're all good they're all 
I, and honestly, I like Fabian Nicizia. I, I think that he is actually uh, an enjoyable writer if you are going to read a disposable pop, uh, pop comic. You know what I mean? But there, I just find myself feeling like it's it's just everything has become so smooth and rounded. And, you know, as we move into a little bit of this new indie mainstream thing, there's a lot of it that just feels to me like there's that there's a lot being left on the table. And as for letter 44, I think what's more difficult is that it is it is something that I feel is really I am so personally kind of uh, ridiculously over the top about that it is very hard for me to kind of sit there and be kind of like this weird, you know, like I said, there's a very who knows where the later issues are going to go. But letter 44 gets its synergy and its kick from playing with modern politics and playing with them in a way that's kind of, I'm not going to take the easy liberal way out. What if there was another way? What if there's a way to tweak this and stand it on its head and, and, and get some juice out of that? Don't, would you agree with that? Uh, yes. And I'm really, I totally wish you'd read for later issues. Uh-huh. Uh because I think he I don't want to say addresses, but he definitely touches upon and plays with a lot of the things that you're concerned about. Right. And I think that it is not as uh cut and dry as I make it. Well seem. gratuitous as I think you th- think it is. I, and I, I it's, right. it's interesting because I can't go back to only thinking of the first issue, if that makes sense. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I know too much to really be able to empathize with your experience Mm -hmm. because i'm like oh but then in this issue this happens and then this happens and then you know they make this reference yeah and so i sort of rankle at the idea that i feel that you've i I, maybe i'm misunderstanding but you feel that he's almost being too flip with subjects that are are too real to be flipped with in many ways the same problem i had with mark miller's mph uh yes sort of i mean honestly i think I think that my problem is I couldn't get a handle on it. And what it feels to me like was a little bit of the the best, my best case scenario of what was going on, at least, you know, at least based on the first issue, was something a little, was a more depressing variant of that. But, um, but yeah, it is one of those deals where it's like it's it's hard to base things on a first issue. It's kind of dumb. I really did try and and put the parts that sort of um, well, tried to not, underscore I mean, my own sourness. But I I do I do I I don't know. It's like I see your point, and yet there's still part of me that's kind of if you're saying that he doesn't address it as much as touch on it. I feel like well, no, because I because address to me suggests that he comes to some sort of conclusion. Do you know what I mean? I feel, I feel like I feel like if you're addressing a topic, you're actually going all the way through with it. Hmm. I, and he doesn't. He, he explicitly does not because that's one of the themes of the series. One of the themes of the series is essentially white Obama becomes Bush, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and his unease with becoming Bush, but also his ease at which it is happening and the amount to which it is happening without him really being aware of it. Right. That he is hand-wringing, but he's not hand-wringing over the right things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's true. I think you know, but, I, but that's that like is one of my big things. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that is how do I put it? I think that that could be. Uh, that would be worth me revisiting. And, well, and but the other thing is, like, you won't be happy with it because it's dressed up as aliens. Well, that's one. Do you know part. what I mean? Like, that's one part. It's, it kind of does an end run pa- uh, past the actual issue, right? Because you'd be like, you know, well. It's one thing NSA wiretapping, but fucking aliens. Yeah, and I think that is something. You know, it's the Hitler argument. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I, 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 I think I do have a. I, it's true, and and so there is a way in which it was clearly when I suggested it should be called democracy. Ha ha ha! It's like it's clearly a like. Okay, don't don't listen to me. Like it's kind of the the only books that I'm not writing about in these twenty days of comicsology are literally the two books that I missed downloading. <laughs> but which are which are what? Um I I didn't down for whatever reason. I thought I added it in my basket, did not, and then it timed out on me. Uh Normandy, which is the next to last book, and Seventh Sword, which is pretty pretty late on. So but the other ones, if I didn't download it, it was because I already had it in some form or another, you know. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I think Letterford Four is better than you made it sound, but also so would be so enraging to you. Yes, <laughs> but I'm not sure it would do you any good to read it. Well, so let's circle back to the the Fred Van Lente part, if you don't mind, because I think that that sure, is also uh, sure. sort of a you know, because you're saying that that some of my points are a little more on point with with Van Lente's stuff. Now, yeah, yeah, but but I guess. But again, we come back to the I am completely comfortable with him raising these issues and not stressing an explicit point of view mm-hmm. with that. Like I, that, There's enough of that for me. Um, and I don't have a problem with it. And I don't think that's an invalid approach. And yet mm-hmm. I feel that you do. Yeah, I guess I have a thing where I just sort of assume that people who kind of were in the industry for a certain period of time at some point are going to have something to say, you know, like I said, Van Lente is, he's clearly an incredibly intelligent guy. And honestly, after reading his, you know, action philosophers, which was the fantastic and incredibly educational, but, but deeply fun. I have this level of like, okay, but like, where's, where is the meat of it? You know what I mean? Like, what does this guy care about? You know, and I don't know why that necessarily seems important. And for many people, like on a one to one disposable comic kind of issue, like hoping that things are just sort of cromulent is good enough. And there's a lot of dudes out there now who I think have done good, strong, substantial work. And that's great. But but I'm also well, no, I'm sorry. It's good, strong, insubstantial work. There's a point where I'm just like, OK, but what what do you care about other than just you know, making your housing payment and or a certain level of, you know, craft. And I, I honestly, but is, I is there not something that. in, but is there not something in, yeah, well, first of all, you shouldn't, I completely agree with you. I yeah. think there's something, I think there's something to be said. And as, you know, as fans of 2018, I think there is explicitly something to be said for paycheck comics. Sure. Especially well-crafted paycheck comics. Um, but I think that Magnus and Archer and Armstrong, which is another one you mentioned, um, are about things. It's just that they don't 
they're not I don't I don't know how to put this. They have more to it than just the you know rock'em sock'em punching. Mm-hmm. They they are about questions and concepts. It's just that they are not explicitly tied to one viewpoint of those things. Yes, and I, I think suppose that, that's right. Yeah. And so it's like it's really interesting to me. That you're like, well, what are you interested in? Because clearly he's interested in these things. It's just that he's not explicitly telling you what to think about them, which for me as a reader is a plus. But for you, it translates into, well, I don't know how you feel about this. Therefore, I don't think you really feel anything about it. Yeah, I think that I, to me, I think there is a little bit of that. Like, I'm like, I actually want a little bit of self-expression in the art to be able to take it as art. Like, I can actually understand the reason why a lot of people uh, piled on me for complaining about Werewolves of Montpellier. Because I do think one of the things that was refreshing about it is, is like... The things that annoyed me were formalistic approaches, but I put it down thinking like, okay, I know I got a sense of who Jason is. Yeah, Jason is, or even like what Jason wants to say with that particular work. I don't have much of a problem if someone wants to write a uh, anti-mammon um, polemic in an issue of Archer and Armstrong, you know, for five issues, and then turn around and try and start arguing the opposite, you know, a la Grant Morrison, you know. But I I think that there is something to me where it's like, after a while, I just feel like we're just kind of being at this stage of like, oh, thank God, you know, people are getting getting a, a, a little bit of a free pass by just not being shitty and I think that on the one hand, while I think that's good, I also think that part of me was really hoping that by the time these guys got to be good enough to be not shitty, they would move on to a stage of them trying to say something with their work at at some level. Even but if but it's that's, plus or that's where I'm disagreeing with you. I think they are trying to say something. I think they're just not trying to tell you what to think. I think you can raise... A question, and that is saying something, and that's valid. I don't think that raising a question says much, Graham. It's just raising a question. It'd be one thing if what they're saying is like a truly shocking question, but I don't think there wasn't anything where I put down an issue of Archer and Armstrong. There was a couple of like clever plot points, but it's not like I put it down and went like my head was expanded. I mean, did, I did that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I think there's any with every single issue. Right. I mean, I think that's just I think I think I see your point. But I just I'm just kind of at a stage where I'm tired of the perfectly cromulent. I'm just like, it's OK. It's good enough. Yes, it's fine. But but I'm kind of at that stage of like, but I don't even want to read about it. I can in that sense, I almost understand why something like Marvel Comics starts to succeed because there is a little bit of in the place of the meaning that does not exist that they won't put in there. They can at least tease a reaction out of you by manipulating icons in a way that you have a reaction to. You know, whether that's like, oh, hey, the Falcon bang, bang some underage chick or it's like, oh, Nick Fury is like a interstellar assassin or, you know, what other little bits of ludicrousness? I mean, admittedly, there's part of me that maybe I've just been enough of a rock'em sock'em robot in the comics industry for so long that I'm so punch drunk that I can't feel anything that isn't 
like going to give me a concussion, but I just, I just kind of feel that, that a lot of these comics are inherently there's, they're just kind of spineless and I, and spineless comics are okay in moderation, but I feel like the vast spectrum of comics that are out there are saying and doing nothing. You know, they're not even afraid to be, they're not even, they're not even willing to be terrible, you know? And I think maybe that's part of the reason why I'm finding myself reacting more and more like, holy shit, I'm going to read this comic nine times over because it was so eye poppingly bad. Um, you at least feel that somebody is putting something at risk. I just don't feel that Fred Van Lente has anything at risk in in whatever he chooses to talk about or whatever he chooses to question. And again, I totally get it. There's a there's the idea that you should not be looking to a book called Magnus Robot Fighter to fulfill those needs. You know, there's plenty of there's a wide other, you know, the smart argument would be to tell me to shut my pie hole and go over and peruse the Fanographic shelf or the Drawn and Quarterly shelf. And I'm totally with that, but there's a way in which I feel like I was raised with comics at a weird time where, you know, a lot of the ones that I remember, even some of the really not good Bill Mantlo comics really felt like they were going to have something that meant something to them, even if what they meant wasn't especially challenging and i feel like the flip side of that is kind of this weird sort of you know hipster coolness that that just seems to kind of radiate without it without the terms hipster or or cool really being there but just a certain degree of um detachment that i that i found i just find unpalatable in a way that clearly turns me into you know a raging moron you know, um, maybe it's maybe it's just old man, old man symptom. But I'm just like, God damn it. Fred Lente has written a hundred issues of comics now. Fucking say something, you know. So I don't know that maybe that's just me. Again, I see your point. You're saying that saying that to to bring something up is to say something. And I, I just I'm I'm just not at that stage. Admittedly, I'm I've got bad proletariat terrible like throw the brick through the window tastes on these sorts of things as as any bourgeois who like latches his windows and draws his curtains and tucks himself into the comfiest bed he can afford tends tends to but ah i don't know it's just i just read it and i'm like so you're listening to npr in which jeff lester's talking about (laughs) why he contributed to the kickstarter for potato salad (laughs) with a red collar do you really think that that's the uh, mindset of someone who contributes to the my, the potato salad Kickstarter? I I have such problems with that Kickstarter. I do too. I, I, I honestly course. I honestly think that everyone who like put money towards it thought it was hilarious, and then like they're going to have to pay up, and they'll be like, wait, yeah, right, <laughs> wait, wait, seriously, I gave ten dollars. I, yeah. I literally I get nothing. It was yeah. really a joke. Yeah. Um, did you see the hilarious GoFundMe today for white privilege? No, that's great. There's this hilarious person who's like, so I'm just hoping uh, that I could buy some white privilege. Uh, I've set the price. Uh, they were like, I've, you know, their statistics say that I'm making 60, like as a black man, I'm making 63% of right. what the white man makes. And so I basically worked out how much that was for the last few years. Oh, that's and so figure, it's hilarious. Anyway, Jeff. Yes. I have a question for you now. <laughs> yes. Now ma'am. that you've told us what you don't like, mm-hmm. what do you like? 
Well, that's a good question. I I ended up enjoying um, that first uh, issue of Bat, the digital bot manga they've started uh, they've started putting out. You know the yes, uh, yes the the hero Kuwata bat Kuwata manga. bat manga. Yeah, I thought that that was actually uh, quite good. Um, what was it saying, Jeff? Well, I think what it was saying is that Lord Deathman is bad. I think. I think that's an important lesson for us all. <laughs> I remember when I was in university and I attended numerous lectures on the badness, or perhaps lack thereof, oh of Lord God. Deathman. And initially, one of my professors argued that Lord Deathman was, in fact, an avatar of life and that his name was ironic. And perhaps we should, if you will, transcend death to instead embrace life. And is Lord not perhaps a, an allusion to Christ himself? Nice. That's what that's what we all thought about. But then we laughed at him and moved on. Jeff. <laughs> what I love about you, Graham, is your way of, of fighting with me is so <laughs> impressively pitchy. And hilarious. I mean, I absolutely... That wasn't even meant to be... That wasn't even meant to be I just thought that was funny that that was your choice. That was great. No, exactly. I mean, that's the thing that's really funny is I can turn around and be like, you know, the stuff that I... The stuff that I read really honestly that I thought was okay... um, are not things really your criteria for... Not even slightly. Not even slightly. Like I, you know, like I... Well, you know... Are Are you up to date with 2008 yet? I'm not. I'm way behind. Oh, so you've not read uh, I still haven't read Chris, Colin West, uh, Chris Weston's The Heart is a Lonely Clay Hunter? No, Dread. I love the cover. Oh, I'm dying to get oh to my it. God. I mean, it's it's way too short. It's only two episodes. Oh. But um, Chris Weston, at this point, has transcended. Like, he's now on the level of, well, he is one of the classic 2080 artists. I'm mm-hmm. one of the classic Dread artists. Yeah. Holy Mother of Christ is beautiful. But it's also hilarious for listeners who don't know what clegs are they're essentially sentient gorilla uh, sentient dinosaurs mm-hmm. and uh, they are savage and they are mean apart from the sensitive cleg who is in megazody one and everyone fears him and then all of a sudden everyone is trying to kill him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is hilarious yeah he doesn't as you might expect he doesn't deal with it very well uh yeah, I I would love to see that. Uh, and so I I guess this is it. There is a little bit where it's like, um, uh, you know, I like Southern Bastards three. I actually think Southern Bastards kind of in its way has its teeth into something in a way that some of the other books that I read and liked okay did not. I mean, something that I think oh, Southern Bastards is about a lot of stuff. Exactly. Like, I'm not sure if it's coherently about a lot of stuff because yeah. it feels very emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels very raw. Yeah, but, but there's a lot in Southern Bastards. A lot. There's a lot to unpack there, and, and that that speaks to me so much more. Even though it's it's wrapped in the it's it's in the wrapper of you know just sort of a Southern exploitation kind of modern walking tall kind of flick. But you know, but it's in, but it's entirely different in that regard. Uh, I should ask because I think this would be a. a, a uh, well, maybe a, a good way to get me out of out of the the uh, penalty box. Oh no, what... I'm, I'm totally keeping you in the penalty box. Oh, okay. Because uh, like I'm sort of like I read uh, I read Batman Eternal 14 and was nonplussed by it. 
I read Shutter number four. We should talk about Shutter number three and number four. I think. Have you read Shutter I've, four? I've yet? not read number four. No, I'm, I'm, but, I'm horrifically way behind in comics right now. Well, I mean, it only did come out yesterday, actually. So, but three, I think we can agree was. I I thought it was amazingly strong. Right? Did you have that same oh, reaction? I, or no. I, I I'm glad you can agree that with yourself. <laughs> Because it's funny, you were so like, "Oh, we have to talk about Shutter Three. This was." Like uh, I thought a month it, I thought it was ago. much stronger. Yes, I'll give you that. Um, I'm I'm just I uh, I think I'm just permanent. I I think one of the reasons I haven't read issue four is that I'm I think I've just accepted that it's not for me. Interesting, because uh, I felt that way after two and then three. The opening sequence in three, in which the Richard Scary Worm and in his little apple car ends up becoming you know, dragged into the life of, a, of you know, an assassin was, I thought, great. I thought that really worked for oh, me. Oh, I see. That's, that's... And that didn't work for you at all, huh? No, that... not at all. Oh, uh, okay. Because okay. um, it felt so at odds with everything else. It mm. felt gratuitous. Interesting. Um, and I, there's just, it felt, issues really felt amazingly disjointed to me. Huh. Uh, and, and, and not in a way where I was like, oh, this world is so varied, but in yeah. a way in which... They really don't know what they want this world to be. Yeah, you kind of get the sense that Keating is trying to be... He's trying too much. He, yeah, he is. He, I feel like he's trying to somehow be like, wouldn't it be awesome if you could like do Neil Gaiman, but also smart-assy Mark Miller at the same time? You know, And I don't think that that will turn out well. But I'm kind of part of it. Part of it is I just I really enjoy the art. Like there's a there's a scene in issue four where somebody gets killed by a platypus, and I was like, this works okay for me, you know. Oh, see, here's I think it visually it's great, mm -hmm. but even even the, you know, they're all humans. But look, he's been killed by a fox on a triceratops. Right. It's so. It, it, like I feel like I should be like, this world's amazing. Look at it. It's so varied. And instead, I'm just like, I have no fucking grounding in this world. So mm -hmm. I like this feels needy as opposed to feeling impressive. Well, there is a way in which I think there's some problems with, you know, there's a very the, – the, the idea of the world is – you know, if if I follow the cut of Joe's influences right, is very similar to the District 13 that I had talked about. Is it District 13? I always get it confused. You mean with Phil? Kickboxing. No, 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 not the kickboxing movie. This is what I'm worried about. The um, No, I'm, I'm talking about, oh, District, what's the film called? The South African film, the science fiction one. Oh, uh, District 9? District 9, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's Banlieu 13, which is tough because it came out as, as District 13. But is it District 11? What's the goddamn book, you know, that was published by Drawn and Quarterly? <laughs> God, this is going to go on Well, this, this isn't working. This is so bad because, anyway, the idea that... I, I think, first of all, we have discovered that there's far too many districts. I yes. Googled District 11, and the first thing that comes up is a Hunger Games reference. Yeah, so. and that's wrong, too. But, um, yeah, it's tough because I know I mentioned it at some other point. God, is it... I'm, District 14? Maybe. Who's it by? Humanoids? Yes, that's it. Fucking shit. 
there's an 11, 12, and 14. Yeah, season one of, of District season one of District 14, which I read by Pierre Gabou and uh, Romalt uh, Reutemann, I thought was a fantastic read. And it's very much kind of a, here's a bustling metropolis filled with um, funny animals who are anthropomorphized, but they've got tough lives kind of thing. You know, that's a thing that the Euros feel a lot more comfortable with as per se, like black Sade, or I don't even know how that's pronounced. But, oh, sure. Know. Yeah, I know. Or also like, if you want to look at it in American comics, um, Elephant Man. Yeah, right. Exactly. Very much from that same sort of tradition. So, I feel like what usually happens, what I feel, at least for myself, it tends to work better if you look at something like District 14, where the the level of cartooniness is higher, I suppose, and therefore the abstraction of it makes a little more sense, I suppose. I, I just, I don't know. It feels tonally all over the shop, even mm-hmm. by the third issue. Um, the plot is so, like... The third issue, they're like, okay, there's been this explosion, so she's going back to her family home. Right. And I had this moment of like, you've not even set up where you are. Like, I yeah. feel no loss about yeah. the roommate or going to the family home yeah. because none of this was ever properly set up. Yeah, like, uh, like this, this, this is all meaningless drama to me right now. That none of this has any impact, and so that he spends real estate on the oh look, it's the suicidal little animal, and then they're exploded. Ha ha, irony. Or the <laughs> Like, here's the Kill Bill scene, except it's animals. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that just irritates me. Yeah. Because I'm like, like I'm not, I've not bought into your characters. You've not given me enough to buy into your characters yet. Yes. And basically, you're, like, I feel like this book has ADD. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this book cannot settle down enough to make me care. Or to even give me a grounding in the fucking world. Well, okay, the grounding in the world is tough. And I think the other thing that's problematic is the few times that Keating tries to give us a grounding in that character. It does not work because that character is unlikable. Yeah, you know, I I feel like that was our problem in the first issue is the the transition from the first half from the second half was really, really lacking. And... And I feel that that is, I think Shudder, yeah, I think I definitely think Shudder 4 will be the, the definite deal breaker if you do decide to check it out. Because I I'm, think... sure, honestly, I'm sure I will check it out, but I could almost tell from issue 3, like, it would have to be amazing Interesting. to get me on board. Because issue 3, issue 3 was the one where, and I can even tell you, like, the part in issue 3 where I was like, I think I'm done. Oh, really? What was it? It's the it's the Kill Bill scene where the dialogue suddenly includes expletive deleted. You know, I don't even remember that scene. I'll have to. I, so what what's the context? Can you can you tell uh, me? There's a samurai. There's a bar in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere, and mm-hmm. there's a samurai who gets killed by a fox on top of a triceratops, uh-huh. and she's talking to or he's talking to. Um, someone hooted at the bar, and then they pull off their hood, and it's another animal. Ah. Uh. Uh, and and there's, there's like dialogue that. and all of a sudden like the mm-hmm. dialogue includes – instead of like including swearing, mm-hmm. like includes in parentheses expletive deleted. Mm-hmm. And it was the expletive deleted in particular. I was like, this is gimmicky. Like I, I feel like I'm getting far too much. I am being smart with my writing than I am smart writing. Yeah, I think I think there is – And I was just like, I that. think I'm done. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like – I 
I've given it three issues. It's not for me. I'm right. moving on. I think that's smart. I think that's smart. I, I went to issue four. Because I really cause... wanted to like it. I really oh, I wanted know. to like it. And I, and maybe that was it. I hit three, and of course I like that sequence that you did not. And I was like, you know what? I think that this book is closer to hitting a tone. And I was kind of like, I'll take that. I will take a tone. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. I'm just hoping for a tone. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um... so, so but issue four didn't do it for you? You know, it it didn't. I think because it it goes back to the same problems that I had with two a little bit, which is kind of that it's it's still it's still be it's still yeoman work. It's still beginner's work. You know what I mean? Well, okay. And, and I think I think that it's one of those things that it's. I'm glad that it's out there. I hope that they'll both continue to improve. Improve. I, but, I think it's a hit, so I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of it. Okay, well, that's problem. That is, in a way, that that sort of to me is like that's a that could be a larger problem because I do think that issue four, although there's st- stuff in there that I'm like, oh, this is great, or this is ambitious, or there's levels of like, oh, here's. In fact, issue four has the part where it seems like finally the appearance of a theme sort of starts to take hold actually because you start running into in in very short order you run into other characters that like the protagonist have i guess a complex feeling reaction to wonderment i suppose you know and this seems to be like a very important part of the book in a way is is how how important how much of the protagonist's jadedness is the actual enemy itself i suppose um is is sort of still something that's going to come that being said i feel like it's too much it's too slow and it's not it's just not it's not being done quite well enough for me to really be mm, uh, able to sort of staunchly give thumbs up to it. I think there are bits and pieces in it that do shine through. And I think there are bits and pieces in it that are annoying, but I don't, at least at this level, I feel like annoying is something that I can put up with. Cause I feel like there's, uh, again, it feels like maybe there's, there's, it genuinely has something to say to you. So you're sick. You're sticking around. I don't know. I picked up four, and I think I'm probably going to pick up five. But I, at this point, it's it's kind of on life support. I would be shocked if I made it to six, you know. Uh, especially after hearing your parts, I'm like, yes, yes, hmm, yes, you know. <laughs> Wait, sorry, sorry, Joe. I think I've talked about <laughs> your comment. That's okay. I think I think Joe, considering how heavily we landed on the first issue, I suspect that Joe's not checking in too much on on us, which is fine. I. Uh, um, what did you think of, uh, Infinity Man and the bait and switch people? Uh, oh, I, I haven't, I haven't read it. Oh, you didn't go into the store yesterday. So you no, did no. not see the second issue. That no, has... I've, I've, seen, I've seen the preview and it's Tom Grumman art. Yeah. Tom Grumman art. It is. But they, they announced that ahead of time. It's Tom Grumman and then it's Jim Starlin that's the issue. Yeah. And I didn't know it. And it's, boy, it's, uh, it's, I was not happy. <laughs> I was so well, not happy. Yeah, well, with book. S- stay away, Jeff, because Jim Starlin's thing the next. Like Giffen isn't back until. But see, I like Jim Starlin, so part of me is like, I'll check out Jim Starlin doing this, even though I know I will, I will hate myself for it. 
But, but yeah, I, I want to stick around. So I don't know. I don't even know why I would want to stick around to Keith Given coming back, considering that first issue with Keith Given. I was like, this is really bad Giffen. This is not the sort of stuff that I all enjoy. It's because you, you want it to get better, Jeff. What a chump I am. Yeah, you, you fool. <laughs> what a rude. What a rude. You rude. What a maroon. <laughs> hey. Yes. Uh, did you read The Life After? The the new Josh Feilkoff book from Oni? No. No, I haven't. Oh, Jeff, you should pick up The Life After, especially after our conversation. Yes. Uh, uh, it is a book, and here is the – and by giving you this synopsis, I'm kind of ruining the first issue, but you'll be okay because I had the first issue ruined before I read it, and I still really liked the first issue. Okay. Um, it is about a – imagine the Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But the Matrix is a simulation created for people who have committed suicide so that they don't know they're in purgatory. Okay. And then someone wakes up. And they discover when they're woken up that they are met by Ernest Hemingway, who has also realized that he is, he's in the same limbo. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh. Uh, and imagine that whole thing being told with – I'm loath to say whimsy because that word has been ruined for me by the thrilling adventurer. But uh, something approaching Philip K. Dick meets Kurt Vonnegut-esque hmm. humanism. Interesting. Like, for the first half of the book, it feels like a straight-up romance comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I would check that out, yes. I would yeah, I, I, I think you should. It's a, I, Especially because I think it has the something to say in capsule letters that you're looking for. Yes. Yes. That's, what it, that's sort of what it sounds like. I'm like, oh, okay, there's something going on here. I can see sort of where that would speak to me and yet i just realized i'm about to recommend did you see john kane's review over the savage critic of spongebob comics annual size super giant swim tacular number two no but that does sound like a comic with something to say it does it does because i, I, I tell you this though uh the spongebob squarepants free comic book issue was fucking great yeah this is strong stuff okay i don't want to spoil this and or blow your mind but the last story in this is called I Shall Destroy All the Civilized Planktons by Oh wait, I've heard about this. It's Paul Karasik and R. Sikoriak. Yeah. It's the Fletcher Hanks joke, right? It's yeah. A parody. It's a yes. Fletcher Hanks parody as a SpongeBob comic with uh yes. what's his name? Dustar. Um off to to uh yeah, Dustar, like it's brilliant. I mean really the drawing style and having having a starfish that's in the in the shape of um God, what's his fucking name? The the star character. Yeah, awesome. Fletcher, Fletcher uh, Hanks' character, yeah. Is I, I really quite believe that's true because the Free Comic Book Day comic was one of the weirdly smartest and most savvy humor mm-hmm. comics I've read in a really long time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I, I quite believe that they're like, let's do a Fletcher Hanks parody and managed to pull it off in a way that those of us who know Fletcher Hanks will be like, holy shit, that's really close. And those of us who don't would be like, Oh, that's just funny. Right, exactly. And that's what's great about this book is a lot of it is just funny. There's like a there's like a god, how long is this? Like a eight page Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy, The Challenge of the Rustler that reads like a great sort of pitch perfect parody of the the bad Silver Age um Aquaman stories that it used to tell. 
but it's really good. Like it really has all the classic Silver Age, like Barnacle Boy through a freak accident has his brain exchanged with his seahorse. And then of course he has to try and <laughs> let Mermaid Man know that he's like now trapped in his his body of the horse and Mermaid Man doesn't notice. And so it's this classic <laughs> escalating series of things and it is so such a perfect dead on parody of that my body's trapped in another body and I have to tell Superman and he doesn't notice for the stupidest reasons ever. Um, you know, there's a completely just uh, convenient heroes by Ish uh, Israel Sanchez, which is just a, you know, kind of uh, SpongeBob and Patrick Bean's bad superheroes and trying to, to stop um, a crisis in the convenient Mart. Um, and then a, the squishy night by Jay Lender, which was a which was very much just another goofy like everyone becomes superheroes and everyone's like hey how come no none of us have actually ever we've ever heard of any of us as superheroes and yet we're all here and they they band together to fight uh restaurant critic Gene Scallop which is great <laughs> I, I I love that someone's like restaurant critic Gene Scallop and he goes yes I was called that once then one bad review of your beloved beanery cost me my job, and I became former restaurant critic Gene Scallop. <laughs> and I, I love that. That worked for me in so many levels. I, that's a great joke. <laughs> that's a great joke. So, yeah, SpongeBob Comics, the, the annual size Supergiant Swimtacular number two, was uh, uh, thanks to John Kane's review over at the Savage Creek. I was like, I've got to pick this up. I did, and I'm very glad that I did. So, yeah. I'm going to very super quickly uh, mm -hmm. talk about a couple of things because we're coming up on the two-hour mark of recording, even though yes. we've been talking for much longer. Yeah. Um, so here's here's a, three very quick things. I don't think you've read any of them. Yes. Uh, Wicked and Divine number two. We didn't even talk about Wicked and Divine number one. We uh, didn't, and I worry that that was also going to get me into hot water. So you read Wicked and Divine number two because someone <laughs> sent you a preview copy, or you bastard. Yes, and I I really liked it. I like I liked issue one a lot. I thought it was pretty much if you are on board with Gillen and McKelvey, it was the ultimate Gillen and McKelvey comic. It, it was phonogram multiplied by Young Avengers, and therefore entirely in my wheelhouse. And issue two got even more into my wheelhouse by adding some invisibles in there, weirdly, mm. which I very mm. much did not expect. Mm. Um, and I think I liked it a lot more than issue one. I, I, I think I, I was one of those, oh, you've made it deeper, for want of a better way of putting it. I think there was a very, um, or there could have been a very shallow way to essentially do issue one all over again for the, mm -hmm. the entire series mm -hmm. and just be like, you know, oh, God's glamour, hey, pop music, ba ba ba. But um, issue two, I feel, went deeper and I, I really, really appreciated it. So if anyone who did like Young Avengers or Phonogram has not picked this up, which to be honest seems really fucking unlikely, sure. um, then you shoot. Um, the other couple things are. Jeff Parker's Meteor Man, mm. oh, which is his his only graphic novel is coming out soon. Uh -huh. uh, art by Sandy Jarrell mm -hmm. uh, and Paul Tobin and Ben Jui's I Was the Cat, which mm. is another only graphic novel, which has actually just been serialized on Comicsology. Mm. It's just finished serialization Comicsology. Mm. Um, I liked both. I was really surprised that both have such ambivalent endings. Hmm. Uh, both managed to close off the lead character's narrative arc without closing off the narrative, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
Like, it seems like a good stopping point, but it doesn't seem like the end mm-hmm. in both cases. Hmm. Um, in a way that you're like, oh, is, there going to, is this a series? Or mm-hmm. is that the end? Because if it's the end, sure, it's satisfying, dot, 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 question mark. <laughs> right. Um, we, I think of the two, actually, I was going to say of the two, I think I preferred Meteor Man better, but I'm not sure that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, Meteor Man is very much, uh, if you could imagine Jeff Parker being given the job to write E.T., mm-hmm. it feels like that. Huh. It feels very much like Jeff Parker taking on the Spielberg 1980s, like kid in middle America, who's right. just normal kids, but of course has tragedy in his past, because they all do, mm-hmm. um, who then becomes incredibly important. Hmm. Like, literally, you know, the most important person on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, with an element of wonder that is... Uh, both wonderful and terrifying to those who are not open to it, mm. which again felt very Spielbergian <laughs> in the eye. Like you know, this could be wonderful, but then you'll have like you know, military man being like, "It's a threat." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that that sort of scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked it, I, but it's it's if you don't like those tropes, I guess. I guess mm-hmm. I could imagine you throwing the book across the room and being like, <laughs> "What is this?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I was the cat. Meanwhile, is feels like the ultimate Paul Tobin comic. Oh wow! It, it feels like you know if you've been reading, if you've been following Paul through things like Bandit, or even going back to things like Models Incorporated, his his Marvel series, uh, it feels like the ultimate sort of evolution of that. I am completely on board. There's a, a sort of archness and a campness to it. Mm-hmm. That I completely respond well to, mm-hmm. uh, but again, it's so not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because, in addition to that, the plot is about a cat who has spent his eight lives so far trying to take over the world. <laughs> so you know, there's that as well. Yes. Um, but if if I have one wish for either of these, it's that people pick up "I Was a Cat" and look at it and go, "Oh, Ben Dewey is a fucking master artist." Mm. Ben Dewey, who's been doing the tum- the tragedy series on Tumblr. Oh, yes. Now. Which I know you um, really like. Which I love. And I've always loved his, his art in that. Mm-hmm. He's doing full color art in I Am The Cat. Mm-hmm. And it's just luscious. It's <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. Well, I do have to say, by the way, I'm not really going to get into The Wicked and The Divine with you. But I did pick up the first issue. And, I, and that is a book that I appreciated just on the level of art. I, I've always liked uh, McKelvey's art, and I think it is gorgeous in that issue. Oh, my God, there's stuff in there that is just be- just literally breathtaking for me to look at. Uh, I'm trying to think. Does he do his own colors, or do, do they have someone no, else it's, doing it's, the colors? Uh, it's, I think it's Matt Wilson doing the colors. Yeah, that's right. And Clayton is Clayton Cole doing letters then? Is that how that works? Let me look. Um, this is I'm like, wait, are there no credits in the in the? Yes, that can't be right. It's at the very last page. Um, Matthew Wilson is the colorist. Yeah, Clayton Cole is the letter. Yeah. yeah. So the, uh-huh. between the colors, colors and the art. Yeah. Yes. Fucking fantastic! And it is. I I know this is not what you want to hear because I'm I suspect that you did not like it from what you're saying, uh, but I think issue two looks better. Oh wow, that's cool. uh, because there's there's uh, a particular scene in uh, a library mm-hmm. that I think w- you'd like. 
Mm. Mm-hmm. Shall we say? Um, yeah, it, he, he's McKelvey's been a really problematic artist for me. I think in the first phonogram, mm-hmm. like it just didn't work for me. It was far too static. Mm, yeah, uh, his, and, his storytelling, the panel to panel, his pages look beautiful. I love his art style, but I always thought his panel to panel flow had gotten a little. Uh, it was was static for that reason. Uh, but then when he did Suburban Glamour, which no one talks about anymore, when he did Suburban Glamour mm-hmm. uh, and he was in color for the first time, or at least the first time I saw, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, oh, I get it now. Mm. Um, and ever since then, he's just been winning me over more and more. I think The Wicked and the Divine is definitely my favorite thing I've seen from him. Mm. You know, I will say this is another thing that I, w- I do want to talk about is the scene that is exactly in the middle of The Wicked and Divine number one where um, – the interviewer is talking to um, what's her name, the uh, the one who looks like Dazzler essentially, while Lucifer and the 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 girl that she's oh yeah 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 I, I know who you're talking about yeah that page I think is is really the sorry it's not the page because it's a two page sequence that's designed to be looked at as a two page sequence like i i was lucky enough to to pick up the print copy and read this in print and i think that that is a beautiful piece of comic storytelling in that classic like oh this is something that you can only do in comics in that if you read the the 2 by 4 grid that's on each page in sequence you have you know, it moves from character to character and reaction to reaction. But when you see in the third tier that it, on both pages, it's just the same tight shot on the interviewer talking and reacting. And it makes you look at the entire page as a two page spread. And you realize the way in which um, characters are framed to be looked at in kind of a, a a panning shot across the two pages when you don't look at it in order is I thought that was technically just absolutely brilliant. Completely. Yeah. And also it's, it is a page or a double page spread where if you look at the art and don't read the page for a better way of putting it, Mm -hmm. you have, you have the close up Mm -hmm. coming in of the, of the character Mm -hmm. or you see the character pan or you see the camera pan across the characters and then back. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you read them, if you essentially read the page, you don't catch it in the same way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's yeah. completely a different sequence when you read it in, in sequence. And then when you look at the page on its own, it has it has a completely different um, – it's, it's a series of panning shots um, as opposed to a series of, inner, you know, tightly cut close-ups. And so I thought that that was – that was just the technical brio of that I thought was amazing. It would be harder for me to actually try and uh, unpack the stuff that didn't work with me for Wicked and Divine. I might very well pick up issue two because I'm kind of at a stage of I'm picking up books as much for the way that they are lovely. Like I think I've sort of transitioned toward to, – to add this as a very, very late addendum – uh, to things, there's a very good chance that if you know, if Jamie McKelvey was drawing Magnus Robot Fighter, I would have been far <laughs> lo- more laudatory in my view of sure. it as opposed to. Uh, I, I'm, eh. well, I, part of me is also: is, does the Wicked and Divine not? Is it not? Uh, 
raising questions and saying something in the way that you want? No, I actually don't have a problem with the way that I, I, although I feel that there is, as sometimes happens with me with Gillen's work, I feel that it's maybe a little too pat and a little self-congratulatory in the way that it's trying to raise questions or do things. I appreciate that it is trying for that. I think my biggest problem, as much as I was basically kind of more or less being like, oh, okay, this is great, is I kind of don't understand what sort of world it's taking place in where you can have a bunch of people open fire into a penthouse um, from across the street, and then when those people are have their heads explode, the very next scene is the character being on trial. Like, that doesn't make any... Like, the jump from... Like, these people are being fired on to, you know, and therefore anything that they did would more or less fall under the realm of self-defense to all of a sudden the chance for this for this Lucifer character to be in this situation that is um, like, oh, but are you saying that you're acknowledging that I'm a god here in court? Like, it, it went from, it went from like, a to M without even hitting the rest of the points in the alphabet. And it, it that's, threw me out. That's crazy. Cause I did like, I, I did not have that reaction. Mm-hmm. And also I liked that. Like, I'm glad that it didn't go between because I feel like I can fill in the blanks. How, how do you fill in the blanks that people could be fired on? And then suddenly one of them is on trial for something. That essentially, with all the others exploded, that it was a he said, she said, and that an establishment that was very suspicious of this character to begin with has basically just decided to go for it anyway and go after her. Okay. I don't see how that could ever happen on in, <laughs> on this planet, but okay. Part of me seems to be like, maybe it's a British thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. Where you're, like, really oh, is no, no. where you're like, no, of, of course the establishment will just go after them because they want to go after them. Yeah. I, like, you, you don't, you don't see that as possible like you see that as as impossible i see you it really as, do the way that it's staged yes if there was if there i suppose if there were ways that it was a he said she said sort of thing if if it was the situation <laughs> where they're on a street and it's police officers opening fire then yeah i can see it but it's like if so if like i'm sitting in you know, even and even if they're like, even if it's the biggest celebrity in the world, even if it's Kanye West and he's sitting in his office and suddenly people open fire at him and gun down the people around him and he whatever he does short with of his pulling Kanye out powers, a rocket lantern, he, blow, he blows he blows them up. Jeff. Yeah, let's just you know, like let's follow it through. I honestly think that if he did that, he might not end up in court, uh-huh. but I think you would have people. Actually asking, did he have to go that far? Yes, absolutely, completely. But and when I they th- put I them in taking, court, I think, I think just, that that's... Yeah, just, I, it's just taking that nah, a stage I further. D- I just, uh, to me, that that make, I was just like, this doesn't happen in the real world. And it jumped to this weird... To me, it jumped to this level of like, oh no, because this is the part that I want to get to. This is the really clever part. And I think that's I, the part that bothers me. When you said, this doesn't, you know, this doesn't take part in the real world. Part of me wanted to be like, but you read Shutter for a fourth issue? Yeah, I did. How do I... <laughs> Put it because I feel that there's a certain realm of when there are things that are 
I, well, it's fair play. You, okay. You think the shutter is fair play because it set up a weirdness. I, I feel, yeah, I feel to an extent that Shudder, for better or for worse, one of the things that is that is definitely worse about it, the Wicked in, in comparison to the Wicked and the Divine is you do not get a very strong sense of where, how, how the world more or less works. But at least for me, in the Wicked and the Divine, there is this sense of, you know, that you can see the world resembles the real world with the addition of the idea that these pop idols are actually gods. And the fact to which Lucy's speech in the courtroom even shows that that is super highly contested and controversial, I can definitely get down with that. But then to me, that sort of means that, you know, Unless these guys are, I don't know, you know, Palestinian and this incident happens in Israel, it makes no sense to me. What it seems is that there's an inherent jump that this makes sense to on the part of the writer and that we're all going to go along for this is kind of that idea of like, well, but of course these characters are ridiculously oppressed and of course... You know, that sort of nightmarish turn of like, yeah, that this is going to happen to them and that they're going to, of course, end up being pulled into court and held as if it's their fault. I'm looking at the issue again. Uh It's not literally as simple as the people that that Lucy kills are the authorities. Uh, When does it where does it say that? It doesn't. But I like I'm looking at it again and that's definitely like who are they who are the people who who are exactly those people are shown wearing like ski masks they're not wearing official uniforms they're just wearing like pants the fact that one of them has a cross around the neck suggests that they're sort of a christian zealot that finds them you know their their claims of divinity to be blasphemous um is is one thing and then it was the jump of like and then exact then they end up in what am I? What precisely am I meant to have done, Your Honor, Miss Rigby? You are fully aware of what you have did, and then it's like all I did was click my fingers, and it moves immediately past any sort of realm of self-defense to entirely this 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 weird world of persecution. That she's on this, trial for murder. But that's Isn't my she? say. Or manslaughter? I, yeah, murder, manslaughter. Sure, absolutely. I, I, Maybe this, maybe I, this, I, I'm I, like, I, you're I, in America, I, I, Graham. This is like, this is like, stand, <laughs> people can shoot other people and get away scot-free with it by, and that other person isn't even armed. A situation where one person is shooting at you from across away with automatic weapons and then their heads explode, you become a hero. That's how it works in American society. Well, uh, if Lucifer okay. was... You know what I, I mean? Like, I just think yeah, that I that's... Yeah, I am I... It's funny. Like, it really... That really, really, really was not a problem for me. Like, it clearly even it hearing, wasn't. He, even hearing you... Ooh, even hearing no, no, you, no. But I mean, like, I didn't no, want to throw you, me out of the boat. Even post, hearing you complain? Uh-huh. Part of me's like, well, I kind of get what you're seeing, but it still is not a problem for me. And what? Like, of course she ends up in court. She's just killed those dudes. Of course she ends up in court. The police show up and they find these people with no heads and she goes, oh, I did it. 
Uh-huh. Like, of course she ends up in court. How? I don't get why you're like, well, why should she? I, 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 I suppose if it was a situation where perhaps she had opened fire first, but I really do. Maybe part of it is I've been reading comic books for far too long, but the idea that you actually show people firing from a block away into a penthouse building and gunning people down, and then when those people are killed – it all the entire onus is like there's not even a framing sequence of well this you know in some like it, in some ways if it was just a panel of like even though this was you know you insist that this was justifiable self defense blah 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 you know like five or but ten she, words but uh, it, okay. but aren't it's I, not in there there's not how yeah do but, I put but it? she wouldn't say that. Like, that's not the character, and it's really clear that's not the character. The character is, for better or worse, a dick. Yes, and that's fine, but this is it. Karen Gillan is convinced that in real life, you go on trial for being a dick, and you are no, too. No, but that's not and what you, uh, That is not, I, that I, is I, not I, what I, happens. That's not what that's happens not what in real life. <laughs> that's not what she's in trial. She's oh, uh, on trial for killing those dudes, Jeff. That, those dudes were were firing that's, down on people. I, that's not the I, sort of situation I, I think you that. go to trial in, and certainly not with that kind of tone. I think that's I think that's I, ridiculous. I, honestly, at this point, I'm like, I'm sure this is a cultural difference. I'm honest because I honestly see no problem with it. Oh and you god. see such a problem with it. I'm honestly like, this has to be a cultural difference. Oh my god, maybe, maybe, maybe it's just a thing, or it may just be that you're that you're you know a fan of the book, and I was like. I was kind of going along with it, but I was not enough in the tank that I was able to to overcome that. It really jarred me. And like I said, I'm reading comics, other comics where people dress up like a bat and punch people in the face. So I would like to think that suspension of disbelief is traditionally not a problem for me, you know. I but I think in this situation, it just struck me as such a really weird just so it so completely went to this realm of oh yeah well of course that it kind of, in some ways it reminded me of WWE <laughs> superstars you know so <laughs> what is hilarious to me is I swear to God you're like it goes to this realm of well of course and in my brain I'm like but of course but of, of course. course yes exactly yeah okay well there you I'm go like, so why yeah. not like yeah. totally of course yeah Jeff yeah, yeah. we're gonna have to agree to disagree in this one I, I heavily we have to. We have to heavily agree to heavily disagree on this. Okay, then. I agree. Jeff! <laughs> I'm agreeing to disagree. Oh, my God. You have to do the rest. Uh, let's do the Halloween podcast with you doing that voice, because that is awesome. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, indeed. Okay, well. Oh, oh listeners, thanks very much for listening. <laughs> Like weird, like last week in the where I did it. <laughs> oh man, it's great. If you like hosted like a Glaswegian like horror, you were like a horror host for like a local TV channel, I guess, because it's just awesome. I really want you to say something like, "We now return to the Mummy's Paw." <laughs> Tough luck, Jeff. If you'd like, maybe if you'd like to look into mine a bit more, I would have, but you don't. So I won't. Oh. oh. Listeners, this has been a super weird podcast for us because really we had like 45 minutes in the middle where we weren't able to podcast, but we were instead just talking about how I sounded like a robot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then Max Headroom. Apparently, I sounded like Max Headroom. You did point. for a moment. I hope I can isolate that because that was. No, I really, play. really hope, especially considering what we were talking about at the time. I really hope you can. Yeah, well, believe me, we couldn't tell what you were saying. I think. So. I mean, <laughs> in contextually, but yeah, we'll see. Don't worry. I will. I will be discreet. Um. Hey, listeners, this was another episode of the nation's favorite podcast. <laughs> Brought to you from sunny Portland, where the weather is going to be horrifically warm this weekend, and from San Francisco, where I was told this morning the sun hasn't been seen in days. Yeah, it's been well. Actually, I've been. I uh, I'm over in Bernal Heights, so we saw the sun today. I just I haven't had a chance to actually get out and be in it. So hopefully, I will do. You don't go out in the sun anyway. You know, you're kind of right, but I don't know. We'll talk about this a little more next time. Let's put it that way. So. <laughs> next time, listeners, Jeff and I will A, talk a bit less about Paul McCartney, <laughs> talk a bit more about the sun, and C, <laughs> might talk a bit about comics as well. Actually, next time we have to talk Avengers. Oh, yeah, exactly. We've got 25 crucial issues to cover. So, and by crucial, based on the issues I've read so far, we mean... Oh, balls. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be... Wow, Jerry Conway comes on and that book just goes in the Boringsville, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much. And it's interesting because I sort of feel like it, it It feels like he's taking over with an Englehart inherited plot and being like, uh, no. like and although, just, although it does feature, I completely forgotten, Zuvembis. Zuvembis? And yeah. then when Zuvembis appeared, I lost my shit. Yeah. I knew it existed... I've read those stories before. Yeah. I swear to God, I'd completely forgotten. And so then when they try and be really dramatic by going, Simon, I think you're a Zuvampi. <laughs> <laughs> and then your character like, straight face me like, have you heard of the Zuvampi craze? It's terrible. It's so, I, I'll have to check it out. Uh, that I, I have to say that I don't remember those issues fondly. The fact that the Avengers oh, fought a giant oh, black chicken. Uh, is not going to bode well. I guess he was a rooster. Is just not, like, it's not a good matchup of the powers. Oh, yeah, I, I'd like to point out, listeners, uh, to those that think that Jeff is, is exaggerating. No, really, the, he fights Black Talon, yeah. the voodoo-themed villain who, honestly, is dressed like a giant rooster. Is dressed like a giant rooster. He, he really is. Yeah. Uh, down to the, the feet. Yeah, he does. He's got the feet. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I really wonder who did the... Was that was that a George Perez design? I wonder who designed uh, no, that. He apparently existed before, it says, because it was like, as previously seen in something else. Yeah. Um, so, God knows. But yeah, Zuvambi's... Really, if you can't say the word zombie Marvel, don't do a fucking zombie comic. Uh, Zuvembi. Zuvembi. Zuvembis. And it's crazy because it's like this clearly – well, maybe not. Maybe maybe the whole Simon Garth, the living zombie, was in black and white, but maybe he hadn't appeared in color. Maybe you still couldn't say zombie. I thought that was the whole point with all the vampires no, no, and the other stuff. But this is, this, is the point, this is the point where you clearly can't say zombie because they say Zuvembi. Zuvembi, exactly. If, yeah, if yeah, you yeah, could yeah. say zombie, there would be no fucking reason to say Zuvembi. <laughs> Simon, are you a – Zuvembi? See, I kind of think that somebody would be like, you know what? Zuvembi is cool. I'm sorry. I I know I can say zombies. Zuvembi's happen. Part of me really does want Marvel to bring back Zuvembi's. Zuvembi's. Like, come on. Whoever's writing Deadpool these days, Zuvembi's. Come on. That is true. That is true. If they haven't done it already. um, Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't read that 70s issue. I should check it out. It would not surprise me if there were Zuvembi's tucked in the corner there. So. 
But anyway, listeners, next time we'll be talking about Avengers, which, uh, brace yourselves, it gets really sucky. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry, it, it it does. It 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 kind of goes in the tank. Even though uh, Jericho Mate really tries to do Engelhart as dialogue for at least the first issue, he yeah. fails horrendously. But he tries. <laughs> he does. He, he does a terrible, terrible job. Uh, but he, he really does try. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's um it's going to be a slog next time, listeners. But not as much of a slog as hearing Jeff and I talk about Paul McCartney for like an hour. Dude, I think the McCartney stuff was scintillating. I think this was actually a scintillating episode. And I have to say, the word of the day on my word of the day calendar was scintillating. So, uh, but, but what was it, Jeff? I mean, I, I know you liked it, but what was it? <laughs> wow. Wow. That's I know, that knows everyone. Yes. Bye!